Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8 of BXB's Bits and Bobs, The Calm Before the Storm. That's because we're about to enter silly season and you know, right now I'm only reviewing three games at once, Rich is probably only doing two, Adam's maybe only doing a couple. In a month's time we'll probably be all doing half a dozen each. So it's all going to be crazy in a month's time. Uh, so let's take a step back and enjoy things. Oh, deep breaths. Woosah! Woosah! Before everything goes crazy. There's a Bad Boys 2 reference for you people. Anybody else picking up on that? No, I'm just one gangster you'll ever be. I'm just so gangster. You do, know I was, you do know I was one of the level designers on Bad Boys 2. I designed no. levels for the game Bad Boys 2. I yeah. did not know that. Yes. Oh, man, you've got so many skeletons in your closet. It's oh, unreal. Yeah. Another game about police brutality. It's just you're ticking them, them off the list. I'm obsessed. Obsessed with it. <laughs> Next you'll be saying you did 50 Cent's game as well. I mean, that's the only oh, thing no, be better. Oh, no, man. Dude, if I'd done 50 Cent's game, I'd be here in a T-shirt saying I made the 50 Cent game. That game is <laughs> fucking brilliant. In a, in a weirdly doesn't get it's a joke kind of way anyway, yeah. Uh, we, we can discuss it if you want. Like, I honestly think it's a good game. Like, it is a good shooter. Yeah, so fairly, it's a decent cover-based shooter, isn't it? I mean, it's it works. really it honest. Well. Yeah. Didn't he have two games? I think we're talking about the Crystal Skull one, aren't we? The, yes, the, the Crystal one. Skull, Blood yeah. on the Sound. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> when 50 Cent was so big, he had two video games. That was a long, long time ago. <laughs> yes. I remember like, when, 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 when Common was known as a rapper and not, not as that guy who gets sort of beaten up in the Suicide Squad film. <laughs> Weird. Back in the day. Back when we were just nippers, Richard. Then again, I'm not sure you ever were. I guess I should introduce us. I've just kind of whiffed on this and just gone into the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ben, the uh, commander-in-chief, why not, of, uh, of PXP Games, who's really happy this week because he got a pull quote in a video game trailer for an actually pretty decent video game. So I'm just going to throw that straight out there because well that's done, one ben. of the more proud moments. I've got to say, I was so happy about that, man. So Good effort. That. Uh, let's give them give them a little plug. Dungeon Punks. I did a review for him. It was a four star review uh, about a month ago. Check out the review and check out the game. Really cool game. I was honestly in they for uh, they obviously like my review as well because I was nice. Unlike Adam, who's with us today, who can only ever hate video games. <laughs> which, uh, this is even so when he likes them, he hates them. <laughs> there's there's unfortunately a ring of truth to that. I will agree. <laughs> And Richard, who often takes so long to actually review a game, he'll get a thousand gamer score and then will have forgotten what he played because he's been playing for so long. It kind of Mate. goes around like in a circle. Mate, are you referring to my re review that I'll be talking about today? That did, I you get a, did you get a thousand in that? I did. Jesus. Well, before the game was even out, so. Ooh, get you with your pre release code. Back. Get you. Get you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. We're actually. With the indie games, we seem to be getting them a bit earlier now, so that's great. That means we can get coverage yeah. to you guys at release or just after, or even sometimes depending on embargo just before. And that's that's the that's the ideal, you know. That's what we we hope to be able to do more going forward. But you know, hey, everything like that is very much dependent on when things are made available. But that's a bit inside baseball, and you know, you guys don't care about that. You care about us talking shit about wrestling, which is what we're probably going to do right now. Yeah, of course we Should are. We talk about some shit? Right? Have you seen everything, Richard? Are you up to date? I don't want to spoil anything for you like I normally do. You don't. Oh, you don't want to do that. So I don't want to spoil you. Telling me the the latest results from CWC wasn't a spoiler in some way. <laughs> Did I, I mean you would you were talking? But wasn't I mean you were literally like you just watched them all. No. I thought you'd just watched them all. No, I was. Oh. I've watched them all now because I thought, right. well, it, 
I won't let him spoil anything else. So I've watched it all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have convinced you at least, Richard, to to catch up on CWC, and you don't regret it, do you? I mean, Mate, that is some good it, shit. It is good. Yeah, really get good. get past that first round stuff, and even in the first round, there's some good matches. But mm-hmm. second round, out of this world, top tier wrestling. Right. And it's impressive how well um, some of the storytelling happens, considering these guys are fresh, without build up, without any legacy in in WWE, and how you really you really yeah. get into them. There's some great talent in there. Well, um, some, did you did, did kind um, of have some of them have got some history with WWE? Mm-hmm. Um, Only a few of them, not that many of them. Yeah, some are older, some are completely fresh, but they get the balance just right, and just the flavour of some of the matches, it's just completely unique. Mm. Um, you referenced when we were talking last night the, who, who was it, uh, Jack, the English Jack gem. Gallagher was Jack Gallagher tied a guy up hilarious. in an actual knot. Literally so ties a man knot. in a knot in the ring that he cannot escape from. In the centre of the ring. wrestling yeah. for ages. <laughs> and it was and it was so weird because you're looking at that going well that's not possible like you're you're, you're like your normal brain that's like that can't be real but at the same time he sold so well yeah. and it wasn't just for a beat it was like he was genuinely stuck in the knot for a quite a while trying to get out yeah, like for about 20 seconds 30 seconds and it was absolutely hilarious and he's just prancing around and he's like yeah I did that, I did that. so good so and then he lost that was another one of the, the the matches that annoyed me. Him losing, losing, yeah. losing. Him losing and um, and poor old uh, Johnny Wrestling losing as well uh, after losing at Takeover in a very similar way. I was like, God damn it, man! I understand that you're not going to give the win for the whole thing to an NXT guy. Obviously, yeah, it's going to be someone new who's on the up, who's coming up. Uh, that all would be Brian fucking Kendrick, and I'll be furious. But um, but at the same time, I just felt so bad for him. He's had two two big losses like that back to back. You know, and he's so fucking good, and it's oh, I, was, I was annoyed, especially as the other guy. Really, I couldn't stand him. I, I really don't like T.J. Perkins at all, but just everything he's about fine, him. But his name makes me think of uh, British High Street. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he sounds like a pound shop. <laughs> the, the, the problem for me was in that match there were two or three um, distinct moments when he was when he was fighting Gargano where. Gargano had to pause and wait for TJ's strike or move because he was behind and yeah. he wasn't in time with the flow of his own match and he, and he showed him as he just wasn't as good yeah. uh, and I just and it just frustrated me that they gave they obviously decided to put him over. Um, well, you kind yeah. of got through it by default because, as you say, um, Johnny Wrestling was never going to go far in this. Yeah. Um, he's just filling out the numbers really and providing a draw for the show. But the best match by far was Cedric Alexander versus Abushi. That was Kaito Abushi is yeah, it's stunning, absolutely stunning. If you only watch one match, watch that on episode five of CWC. Right. And that bit of the, I mean, I'm going to spoil this for for Adam, but the bit where they're chanting "Sign him, sign him," and oh, Triple yeah. H comes out and actually goes thumbs up and goes, "Yeah, we're yeah. gonna, we'll take it." And that was for the loser because they, they, he, he was so goddamn good in that match. It, you know. Both he, of them were amazing, and he is signed now. He's been signed to Raw since yeah. that match. Yeah, he just, just, just astonishing. Um, you know, I, I'd say maybe the other Champa and Gargano's match for me was maybe that a was little better than that. But yeah, but, but you've seen them go before. Expect that, don't you? Yeah, you yeah, expect yeah. it to be that good. But this yeah. just came totally surprised. Amazing. The other, the other thing you could do, Adam, is actually wait for it to finish and then just do the whole thing. Yeah, I just binge the whole thing. Yeah, it's thing. it's not got it's only got a couple a few weeks left now. I think like three or four weeks left. So it's been on three um, of the crap matches. Yeah. 
what year? Yeah. I might be out with her. Uh, okay, let's talk about then. Um, let's talk about SummerSlam. Um, arguably the the number two pay per view of the year after WrestleMania. Uh, it's definitely right out there as as the one of the other. It's the oldest other than WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was way too fucking long, huh? Oh yeah. Pretty long and quite a lot of injuries. It's a pretty well. It's resulted in a lot of injuries. Yes. It's lucky. <coughs> it's quite lucky that they're not in Britain with the NHS cuts, isn't it? Because there was so many injuries. <laughs> well, let's. I don't let's, know what they would do. Well, I'm pretty sure WWE would go in Booper. I think they're, uh, <laughs> they're, right, they're bringing on their private medicine. <laughs> that's definitely a way in there so let's talk about some of these injuries coming out of what matches they were so Sasha uh, against Charlotte they knew she had a back problem going in uh, and that she was going to give over the belt back to Charlotte so she could get into a feud with Bailey, who came up the following Raw um, as we kind of all expected her to after losing at TakeOver though I'm kind of throwing this all around because you, you might not have known that because we're talking about this now um, but um, yeah I mean that, was, that wasn't a surprise because she was already injured and was having to take time off to recuperate. That but the match big... didn't help, though, right? I mean, uh, it didn't uh, look like it did because there was some serious <laughs> shit on her back in that. In yeah. that, that match was like me and Adam were talking about this as we were watching it, uh, and uh, it was like I think they just go so hard though. When, when it's one of the four horsewomen or two of them in a match, I should say, they just push, push, push that they get messy and things happen that look like that could have killed that person. Mm. Or put them out for life. Um, like some really, mm, yeah. It was it was a messy match, wasn't it? But it was good. But it it was yeah, a little bit, a little bit iffy. Um, the other match, of course, gone. That kind of defined the whole event. It all felt quite sloppy. Not in a yes. bad way, but just everything was high risk and yeah. You know, it it didn't always pay off. When the other one. Uh, so the other one for the universal belt, which uh, the raspberry belt. Um, which which looked a bit rough. Adam just really doesn't like this belt. It's the worst looking piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it's it's already been called the universal. It's already been called the universal champion shite. Like that's what people are calling it. It's so bad. It looks like a maker belt from a bloody wrestling game. It oh. Now does it make sense now you've seen the SmackDown belts though? I mean. I can see, see what they're doing. I can see what they've gone for. Yes, the Raw yeah. titles are red and the SmackDown titles are blue. But I don't like the SmackDown belts either. They didn't offend me quite as much because they weren't unveiled in this like great moment. And mm. I mean, the the fact that the crowd spent the first half of the Bala Rollins match like booing the belts rather than watching the match, really? that's not good. <laughs> you know, that's really not good. Especially as that match was actually very good. Like they were working hard and it was a putting good on a good show and. So on Monday Night Raw, Finn Finn comes out and has to relinquish his belt after winning against Seth, and you get to see when the injury occurred and how he dealt with it. The fucker the fucker hits the barrier, pops his shoulder out, pops it back in, and then proceeds to this happens in the first like few minutes of the match, and then proceeds yeah. to wrestle an entire match with Seth Rollins with a fucked shoulder, and you wouldn't have known it. You you wouldn't have known it. I, I honestly, I had no idea he was injured when I was watching that match, yeah. and I, my heart just goes out to him because that was and a great match. Obviously, he was about to have a big push, and he's had to relinquish that belt immediately and be out for six months after coming up from NXT in the most riotous fashion. Like he flew, you know, he came on, blew everybody away in that episode of Raw, got the title shot, has cut some great promos uh, leading up to it, and uh, yeah, just gutted, gutted for the guy. Yeah. Like you know. It's awesome. he's, uh, 
Rollins has got a bit of past form in this as well, isn't it? This is not the first time he's injured someone. Yeah, yeah he's the most been... unsafe wrestler on the roster I've seen. Bandy yeah, Bret Hart's been talking some serious smack about him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he gets a lot of hate. Um, he's bent to be a bit awkward to deal with. He's a bit of a bit of an asshole, some people would say. But I, I think it's, it's easy. He's had some bad luck, you know? I, I think it's really easy to blame him for a lot of things, but I, I don't think it's necessarily fair. You know, so but people love to you know chuck the blame about, don't they? Um, but you know he is he is their their golden boy right now, so we just have to accept that mm-hmm. you know, he's going to be on a lot of stuff. Um, instead of going through the entire card, because we'll be talking about wrestling all night if we do that. Um, what was your standout match? I've got I've got a I've got to pick Cena and AJ personally. Oh, I thought that was a great match. Fun, one of the best. I mean, it was a bit of a weird match, wasn't it? I mean, again, we talked about this, Adam, because of the whole... It kind of degenerated into 12 full, false finishes off of finishing moves for yeah. almost the entirety of that match. But somehow they paced it well enough that you were on the edge of your seat for it. It was one of those classic situations where, like, I watched the match and just thought it was amazing and, you know, wanted to give it a standard elevation in front of my monitor. I just thought it was incredible. And then, like, the next day you read sort of people on the internet and some of the more kind of chin-strokey sort of commentators and stuff, and they were all sort of saying, man, they skipped the entire first half of this match. Like, they went straight to the finish and then just did 20 false finishes, kicked out of every finishing move multiple times. It just got ludicrous. And it did sort of make me go, oh, well, maybe I'm just wrong. But on second thought, I'm not, not wrong. You're I not loved wrong. it. I thought it was not, great. You're not wrong, and so I think a lot, of fans, a lot of fans would agree with you. I think it was probably the top point for most people. And weirdly, in the pacing of the pay-per-view, that was where, where it should have ended. And yeah. yet they, well, they I think, had three or four more matches after that. So I, mean, I think the reason for me, I'll, I'll defend it, is that it did actually tell a really good story. The mm-hmm. story was of AJ Styles having incredible resilience. It got AJ Styles over brilliantly. This idea that Cena buries people, like we have to shut up about that now, because Cena did everything he could to make AJ Styles look like God in that match. And then at the end, leaving the wristband, like that all sort of set up a kind of, I don't know what they're going to do next with Cena, but it definitely feels like the start of an interesting storyline. So it was, it was, it was actually. For a night that was full of just ridiculous kind of over-the-top, dangerous spots that made me sort of think, man, I'm not sure people should be doing this sort of stuff. Like, that was a match that didn't look particularly out of control. I don't think either participant was really in danger of endangering their career during that match. And delivered a really good story and had a really nice payoff at the end. And the right person won for me as well, which always helps. Like, I just thought it was great. What about you, Richard? What was your favourite match of the evening? Um, I don't know. I've got a few that I didn't like. Yeah, I was gonna. Okay, let's talk about that then quickly because there's a couple of real stinkers in there. The the non-match of Roman and uh, Reigns and uh, Rusev didn't even begin. What was, what was yeah. that? That was just like why why even have that on the card? I mean, it was a complete waste of fucking time. Um, I quite enjoyed the tag stuff. I, I thought that, that was, was genuine fun. or not because they're selling it as an injury to Rusev, but was it? No, no, that that no. that's not an injury. No, that's storyline, and it was bollocks. Um, it, just it didn't make you shit to make up. You yeah, know? yeah, and the booking of it just seems super weird because Roman Reigns presumably is still supposed to be the face, and Rusev is the you know foreigner who hates America, classic yeah. sort of heel role. But Rusev's in the ring to defend the honor of his wife, who Roman was legitimately a dickhead to, and Rusev's like injured. Roman comes out assaults him, causes the match to be washed out, 
essentially shortchanging the fans, and then spears him in his broken ribs. Like, (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is not how a face behaves, and this is not how a heel behaves. None of this makes sense. I mean, I I think they're trying to make Roman into Stone Cold. Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. You're right. They're fucked. That's the feeling I get, because Stone Cold, for a a large part of his career, was he he was faced because he was over. His character was often heel. No, right? this is true. You know, something something he now. would often, he would often, you know, stun somebody <laughs> that didn't deserve it just because he could, because he's fucking Stone Cold, and he will fucking stun you, and that's the way it is, right? Because Stone Cold fucking says so. So it's like, and they, they, I feel like they want to do that with Roman, and it could work if they just lent into it, but I don't think they will. I, I think they'll go halfway, and it will, and it will miss. Yeah. But, but also, I mean, even in the Attitude Era, when heel and face was kind of a mixed bag of terms and didn't really make a lot of sense. Like, Stone Cold worked because, yeah, he was a badass and did a lot of heelish stuff, but his opponent was Satan himself. Like, Vince McMahon, <laughs> as, as yeah. Mr. McMahon, the heel, was one of the greatest heels the industry's ever well, seen you, just think genuinely loves them. But think about the program they've had Roman in, in the past, against the authority. They were trying to do exactly that. Oh, no, for sure. Like, I agree with exactly you. The problem with it. Roman, you can't really compare him to Stone Cold, because Stone Cold was a heel that everyone couldn't help but like. Mm. And Roman is a face that no one can bring themselves to like. It's a completely yeah, polarised. You, well, you're not wrong, but you've got to remember, this is Vince trying to tell his thing the way he wants to tell it, you know, how he's told it for, for 30 years, you know, and uh, or more, 40 years, and, and he's, you know, it's not working. But um, the other other matches that just left me cold and boy, like, who gave a shit about Ambrose and Ziggler? I was oh, just, that, like, totally switched out. off. Totally, totally petered out. Uh, yeah, I was hopeful it would give um, some decent props to Ziggler, because it's nice to see him given a shot, but... Yeah, mm. really, really, really boring match. I did like the women's match, the women's um, tag match, and seeing Nikki. Uh, Nikki, good. So happy she's back. So happy she's back, man. Overjoyed, just because she's super, super hot. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Uh. <laughs> super, super hot because it's not like you know she's a a decent wrestler for for the ladies' division, but yes. you know Becky, Sasha, Charlotte, Bailey, they're all better. So it's it's a case of well, she's not coming back. To be Paige as well, she's better as well. But you know, she's gone at the moment. Um, but she you know, gone? is she injured so, or so, No, Paige and Del Rio are an item, and it turns out the WWE don't like them being an item. They put them on different shows, Raw and SmackDown, uh, and then on Paige's birthday, they all went out and got really fucked up, and then failed a random drugs test, and have all been suspended and have been suspended for thirty days each. Oops. So, um, as well as Eva Marie, weirdly, suspended for 30 days under their wellness policy right now. So, what that one out. Um, and they all got fucked up, clearly. But, you know, hey, what can you do? Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of weird backstage stuff of all that. So, we, we've, we haven't talked about the little yeah, cut. Yeah, we probably should mention the main little event. Cut, little cut Randy got here. Little cut. Did you, did yeah, you see little, him on, little little on SmackDown? Ten staples required. Ten. Fucking man! I don't think I've ever seen. I don't think I've seen anybody bleed in the ring like that before. No, not that pouring out of his skull, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Horrendous. Basically, his brain was hanging out by that point. Yeah. It was, it was um, outrageous. Well, at first, I thought that was that. I didn't think it was a work. I thought that was a mistake. No. I honestly thought it was a mistake. But this is this is interesting. This is why it's kind of clever. Um, turns out it was a work. Turns out that um, this is what the plan was, but it was more severe. 
than they had yeah. planned for it to be. That's right? it. There's no way they planned it to be that bad. Mm. No. According to the Wrestling Observer, what happened on the night was that Randy Orton came in and was told to finish and was told that Brock Lesnar was super skillful with his forearms and could just open a tiny nick and then the referee would um, sort of stop the fight for blood and the, like, all the crowd would be like, you know, oh, this is like bullshit and that was like you're supposed to get some heat on the, uh, a rematch later on by having, like, you know, a no-blood stoppages clause on the next match or something like that. And what actually happened is Brock Lesnar <laughs> fucking caved his head in. <laughs> there was more than a little blood. <laughs> It was it was severe. Now the rumor is that potentially they're going to try and build a Shane Brock match off of that F five he took. Like, what? yeah. <laughs> um, you can't remember Shane can hold his own against the Undertaker, right? They've established that not that long ago, and I feel yeah. like Shane will do anything. It's so weird that Shane could like take what he takes. Let's remember that. Let's remember that spot off the top of the fucking cell. Yeah. Let's yeah. not forget that. That is the only Damn. good thing that happened in that match, though. It was one of the worst wrestling matches that has ever been fought. <laughs> it wasn't actually a wrestling match. It. It's, it, it was just a fucking stunt show. Yeah. I can't think of a match I want less than Lesnar versus mm. Shane McMahon. I literally <laughs> cannot think of anything. Did you guys see Orton come out on SmackDown and be really contrite and, like, seem very strange, <laughs> I thought, for Randy Orton? Um, that was a, that was a weird like, thing. The other thing is worth worth mentioning. We we're talking about AJ and Cena. Cena very definitely absent from SmackDown, mm. so they they're definitely putting that over pretty good on and AJ. Yeah. Definitely the standout of that whole night was that match. Absolutely. If yeah, you were but, Orton, if you were Orton, wouldn't you be kind of pissed off? You've come back from injury, and your big return is a face off against Brock Lesnar that buries you that hard. Like he did not come out of that match looking strong. Oh, he looked no. super weak. He looked like he was half unconscious on that mat. You know, he looked... and he was like legitimately. I'm not sort of mm. saying, oh, he should have took the forearm better. Like, no, you need to risk that. But again, as a piece of booking, it's like so. So I come back from injury, and my big return is I get absolutely slaughtered by a monster. Well, this is why I didn't right. think it was a work because I thought, well, surely after everything, all the bad rep that um, Lesnar <laughs> brought to WWE recently with his brothers. And this is Orton's big comeback. I thought, well, surely Orton's going to demolish him. Yeah, they've got to give Orton the win here, I thought. Well, after after spending a month building up how powerful the... Oh, it only takes one RKO. It only takes one yeah, RKO. And then Bresler takes... He took two, I think it was, and, and he kicked out. And it was like, oh, all right, well, that was bullshit then. That didn't work, did it? Um, and then I, I remember I was listening to SmackDown, and at one point they're, they're talking about Orton, and JBL's like, yeah, if he just landed one more RKO, he would have beaten him. <laughs> <laughs> How many, how many RKOs? I mean, you were selling it as one, and now it's three RKOs. All brought in three RKOs, and he'll win any match. And it's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? you got to love wrestling. It's so it much to do with the ratios, mate. One, one RKO to six um, suplexes. Yeah, suplexes, yeah. I mean, he took about ten, didn't he, in that match? I mean, it was going quite well up to the end. I was quite enjoying it, and that's the problem I had with that. The ending and the way it yeah. came, it was like, the tempo was quite good, I felt like they was going back and forth, there's some good stuff uh, on the announce tables, and, and you know, and then Brock goes back, gets gets to gorilla position, and uh, Chris Jericho wants to lump in one. Yeah, about I read that? about this. Richard, you're not alone, Chris also didn't think it was a work, and, yeah, and confronted with him. 
and they, they nearly came to blows, it turns out. Well, so. I mean, it sort of bothers me because this seems to be a direction WWE booking's going in there where Vince has got his hard on again for making the Smarks second guess themselves. Because then we had the Miz Daniel Bryan promo as well. Oh, yeah, that was it. So WWE yeah. seems to be all about now. Is it a shoot or is it a work? You can't figure it out. And I don't know, man. Like, when you do it right, that can be good, but. It's well, I think something Smackdown, I'm a particularly big fan of. I, must... I think that I think the thing on SmackDown Live was very well done. Um, I guess you guys have both seen it. Um, I've seen I, it. I thought that was so close to being a shoot that it's it's obviously a work, but at the same time, it was so believable that that passion. I just wish the Miz brought that to the ring a bit more. Um, but and I, and I totally you, you can't not agree with him. You know, it was. It does bring in that real life stuff around Brian, doesn't it? I mean, even if it is a work, it does cut close to the bone with what's happening. It happened. does, for sure. Well, that's the best promos, isn't it? The best promos yeah. are the ones that have a ring of truth to them. Um, the only thing I didn't understand about it was that, again, like what it actually did was it generated quite a lot of sympathy for The Miz. Yeah. But the Miz isn't supposed to be sympathetic, right? He's, he's a villain. Yeah. Well. And, and Daniel Bryan's, like, you know, the, the golden child. And most people's interpretation of it was that Daniel Bryan was sort of being a dick and kind of embarrassing the Miz in front of a camera and good for the Miz for sticking up for himself. Now, actually, like if you know more of the backstage stuff, the situation Daniel Bryan's in, a lot of what the Miz said was quite unfair because Daniel Bryan cannot get back in the ring in WWE because the medical staff won't let him. And he can't go and wrestle in a bingo hall because he's tied to a contract that he'd have to breach and WWE would sue him into ask, oblivion. Ask yourself this, though. Are they looking to give Bryan a heel turn in his management role? Oh, God. Because think about... Because he's an authority figure, so think all... Think about... You've got, to have, you've got to have heel authority, haven't you? I mean, that's kind of like... If you've got... Especially on SmackDown where they've got a face champ... You need to have heel authority, don't you? I mean, otherwise it doesn't work. If everybody's just friends all the time and buddies, no, oh, but, but I think you can, have, you can have neutral authority figures who just are there for the good of the sport, sort of thing. Like Jack well, Tunney. Yeah. <laughs> basically. The, the weird, the weird <laughs> thing to me is the weird thing to me is that Mick, Mick, Mick and Mick and Steph are definitely like face, right? They're definitely good guys. Well. The WWE thinks Stephanie McMahon is face. Stephanie McMahon is still detested by the audience, I suspect. I love Stephanie. I think I, I love her as a bad guy and I love her as a good guy. I think she's amazing. She's one of the she's fantastic. I, I think she's really good. But anyway, should we? Um, I mean, look, we've been doing about twenty-five minutes now on wrestling. Um, <laughs> we've not we've not even mentioned Takeover. Like we've not even that was miles better than SummerSlam. So like, much oh better. Oh my god, so much better. Like. It was, I thought that was quite long as well. Was that about two and a half, three hours compared to SummerSlam's? Yeah, I think it was quite two and a half. Yeah, but uh, that was that was again injuries, like Richard mentioned at the top here. I mean, Joe taking taking a <laughs> taking Nakamura's knee twice to a oh, yeah. broken or, or dislocated jaw. jaw. It was yes, that must have been painful. Ouch. Um, was that was that legit? Selling it, yeah. I thought he was just selling it really well, but yeah, um, he did have a dislocated jaw. Wow. Legitimately fucked up there. Wow. Um, any other injuries out of takeover? I can't remember if there was any more, to be honest. Um, I lost track of that already. There's only so much wrestling you can remember. Sami Zayn was injured as well. What was Sammy he even in a match? What match was he in? I think he would, I don't know what, I, I don't know. I think he was, he was in, in a, early on in a pre card match, but he was oh, injured right. somehow. I definitely oh, watched yeah. him wrestle this weekend. It was him and um, Neville whose balls popped out. At yeah. Uh, yes. They, they, were, they were tagging, weren't they? Neville's balls fell out of his trunks during his uh, pre-show match. 
So yeah, Takeover. What was your any standouts from Takeover, guys? I mean, obviously the um, tag match was great. That tag match, that tag match was mm. match of the year contender. Absolutely right brilliant. I mean, I I really wanted Champa and Gargano to win because I love those guys. But the revival 100% won me over. They are yeah. the best, one of the they best so well. old school heel tag teams I've ever seen, working every angle in complete synchronicity. And it's it's been great watching them develop because I remember a lot that many takeovers ago where they had a similar match against American Alpha, and they looked a lot messier. They were missing um, spots. They were missing. Um, sort of synchronicity. At one point, one of them thought they were uh, legal when it was actually the other guy, and they had to, like, you know, quickly switch that back. Uh, now, though, they look fucking oiled, man. They are perfect yeah. in there. I I'll was so you, impressed with that. Here's how good the Revival are as a heel tag team. They got so roundly booed at, towards the end of that match just for sneaking in the ring and breaking up a pinfall attempt by the NXT crowd, who are the smarkiest of the smarks, cheer for the heels you know, kind of operate above that whole kind of heels and faces level. And to get booze out of that crowd by doing something against the rules of wrestling, oh my god, you've got to be good. You've got to be good. No, they they were they were they were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I feel like we might see the end of Champion Gargano now as a tag match, as a tag team. Um, I thought it was gonna happen at the end of that match actually when they were leaving. I thought I thought, you know, Champa was gonna floor Gargano for taking the submission. Uh, he looked at him sideways at one point, and I was like, "Yeah, oh, I was waiting for drop him." And then he and he didn't. I was quite surprised, um, but I still think that's on the that's coming up. But um, the other, I mean, I've got one word for you guys. I've got one word. Glorious. Oh, so good, <laughs> so good. Bobby, so good to see him in that ring. One of the best entrance themes out there today in wrestling. Nails that character. Uh, and as Adam said, he missed the perfect voice version 2.0. Oh, that's yeah, so good. Yeah, just that entrance wouldn't, wouldn't have looked out of place at like an 80s WrestleMania. It was just such beautiful, <laughs> camp yeah. nonsense. It was hilarious. I yeah. loved it. It almost needed those mini wrestling rings they used to oh, do. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what, Yeah, they should have had little turnbuckles and ropes on the yeah. platform. <laughs> it, was it was fantastic. And I'm so glad they put him over that annoying dude, yeah. CN. Although... And I, I happen to know he's already changed his finish, but man, that finish has got to go. That glorious bomb that's actually a pump handle slam. Like, fuck that. Yeah, that's weird. He needs a better finish than that. But he already has, has he? So. Yeah, I've, there's, well, NXT tapings already happened, so I, I have spoilers for those, which I'm not going to bring up. But okay. yes, he, uh, he wrestles, and unfortunately this probably does spoil the result of his match, but it's hardly a surprise. He might debut a new finisher this week. That was... Uh, that was... Yeah, that was great. And, uh, women's stuff was inevitable, I think, the women's Actually, match. I mean, uh, the, the Bailey asker match was, yeah, like it was good. It was a nice farewell for Bailey. Um, Ember Moon looks great, though. That finisher. Oh. Wow, that twisting corkscrew uh, stunner off of the turnbuckle. Oh. I was fucking blown away by that. Yeah. And the fact that she landed it so well. I mean, I don't know if you remember when Cena was trying to do a the springboard stunner uh, move off of the ropes for a while, uh, yeah. a, few, a few months back, but he could half the time yeah. he'd miss it, half the time he'd only catch a little bit of it, and it would look really fake and bullshit. She landed that perfectly, and that her opponent caught all of it, and it looked so convincing. I'm excited to see more of her, actually. Yeah, really, really excited. I, I'm On the, the NXT previous that, we got to see a whole bunch of new women wrestlers who are coming up, including uh, Nikki Glencross, who, uh, who Mark of Xbox fame has uh, some dealings with back in the past because she's from Glasgow, like he is. So that's pretty cool, and I'm excited to see. She was very good in that match as well, so that's going to be 
lots of good stuff, but I think we should probably wrap up the wrestling there with about half an hour of talking about it, and I think that's as much as anybody can handle. Uh, <laughs> so unless there's anything you guys wanted to throw out there quick, I'll actually talk about some video games next. No. We've got to get you sorted with a wrestling podcast. <laughs> we've got, we've got yeah, to find I mean, some we, we should do one at least offshoot. after after the, the, the big thing. <coughs> We should do something, yeah. We do. I, w- I wanted to do a, another one of those live streams we did, Adam. That would have been cool, but uh, it's just annoying. Everything's at 2 in the morning. Yeah, it is difficult. <laughs> it's a bit of a tricky one. Okay. <sighs> video games? I mean, does, does anyone play, play any video games, guys? I, I, I don't really... I just All I do is watch wrestling. It would seem. <laughs> I've played a bit of WWE 2K16. Should we talk about that? We did that. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's free. Well, I mentioned it's free with Games of Gold right now. If you've got an Xbox, you might as well check it out. Uh, I reviewed that game on Xbox back in the day last year and gave it an eight. Richie doesn't think it does, doesn't think it deserves that. Uh, I I really I quite enjoy those games though. So shut up in your face. <laughs> um, oh God, I, 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 I want to break from talking. I want to break from talking. So I'm going to get Richard to talk about something now. Um, oh, I'm going to get Richard to talk about. A game that probably doesn't involve any pro wrestling, but who can be sure when you're dealing with claymation? Mm. Ah, Army Krog. Army Krog. Not really. That was the best segue I could get out of like nothing. So I'm I was being, just like, "Being generous, just take yeah. it." Thank you. I, well, that's what you always say to me, Richard. Just take it, and uh, you know, and you I, always I'm, do. It's a trigger word. So be careful. Um, <laughs> go on, Army Krog. Army Krog. I reviewed this, so hopefully you've read it. If not, why so not? So that's it, moving on. Next game. Um... <laughs> yeah, it's a point-and-click adventure, and it's so much of a point-and-click adventure that it's basically reduced its palette to literally pointing at stuff and clicking on stuff. Oh, it's gone quiet. Adam's gone. He's not interested in Armacrog. What's going on? I'm barely interested in my hostess, <laughs> but go on, carry on. Yeah, so um, when you think point-and-click adventures, you think, uh, you know, stories, characters, inventory systems, um, maybe branching dialogue. None of that in Armacrog. It's literally point at a thing, click on it, and see what happens. You might pick stuff up, but it doesn't tell you what you've picked up and the items are so small as to make it indistinguishable from anything else you've picked up. You don't know what it is until you find out where to use it. So it becomes quite a trial and error thing. Um, but just to give you some idea of the setup, it is, it's Claymation, as you said. Uh, it's by the designers of Earthworm Jim. So it's got some nice character design chops that are initially quite inviting and just the physicality of the clay that's used to build everything makes you think, yeah, this is going to be a substantial product. But after the initial cutscenes where you see uh, the lead character crash to earth with his um, alien dog, um, everything just becomes a bit more flat. It's it's all just um, flat backgrounds with hardly anything in them. The first room is of... Uh, a door and there's a handle on the floor it turns out you put that handle in a hole pull the handle door opens and pretty much the entire game is built around the same sort of puzzles almost exactly the same puzzle itself actually because everything is iterated upon just repeated ad nauseum 
Um, there are different kinds of puzzles. You end up finding a baby, um, unfortunately called Baby P. I'm guessing they don't know what that means in Britain. Um, baby P, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, give me a minute. Took me a minute there, but yeah, yeah. That, isn't, that isn't the smartest move. Yeah, okay. Yeah, just abandoned under a rug, I, I, you know. So oh, yeah. even tonally, it's it's really inappropriate. Um, this baby has special powers, uh, but the only interaction you have with it throughout the game is when it becomes annoyed and needs a lullaby to get it back to sleep. Uh, this involves just chaining um, elements of a lullaby tune together with objects in the right order, which is a trial and error process. That same puzzle crops up three times throughout the game. All the while you're trying to figure out what the, the melody is, the baby is crying. So nice. that's fun. Um, there's more physical puzzles where you've got objects that twist and turn and move, and you've got to move them into the right configuration to progress. That sounds great, but it's very clear that this game was designed for mouse. Um, so the only concession they've given to console gamers is a sort of auto uh, lock-on for the cursor, which doesn't work in these puzzles. It locks onto the wrong thing, makes it impossible to actually um, manipulate them in any way. Um, so you're constantly in and out of the menu to turn the auto lock on or off, depending on whether you're in a puzzle or in the main game, moving your characters around the environments. And it just feels so clumsy. Everything's, it's, everything is sparse. When you find a puzzle, it's one you've already done. Um, in a way, that's useful because at least you don't have to work out what to do next because none of it really makes very much sense. You can't work anything out from the environments because it's also, also sparse and abstract. The characters don't really give you any indication of what you should be doing next. And it, it just feels basically sterile, linear, and empty, and completely at odds with the initial impression. As I say, that claymation style <laughs> makes you think, yeah, there's something of heft and substance here, but it just doesn't work out that way. I mean, the interesting thing from what you've just said that stuck with me was when you were talking about the character design and how it was quite inviting and, and similar to Earthworm Jim because it's the same character designer, and it's kind of like the problem I had with Earthworm Jim. That game looked a lot more fun than it actually was to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it sounds like they've got exactly the same problem here with Army Krog. Um, why is it fucking called Army Krog, by the way? That's the name of the... Um, it's like a fortress that they land on, and, and you have to work your way through this fortress called Army Krog. Okay. Um, it doesn't really have any relevance beyond that. It's not, it's not even mentioned in the game. Um, in fact, sounds like, it sounds like they needed a name. And just they, they needed the a name that sounded good and fitted with the um, the initial theme tune. There's a theme tune at the beginning, and I guess that's the right amount of syllables, and it sounds weird. <laughs> but the um, the story itself is really frustrating as well because there are cutscenes throughout the whole game. Um, when you first see the cutscenes, the dialogue is all played over in this gibberish, random language. Um, so you've got no idea what any of it means. And it's only near at the end of the game where you pull, well, obviously a handle, because that's all of the puzzle <laughs> in the game. Uh, the handle changes the language of all of the cutscenes you've seen. So if you really want, you could just navigate back to places you've been most of the time. Sometimes they're locked off, but you can go back to some of them and watch those cutscenes again and see what it says in English. 
but it's just some Superman knockoff story about a baby that was lost and has got special powers or something. So it's not really worth the effort, especially when you've gone that far in the game, not understanding what's going on. You don't care by that point. So it's weird. Not, what's the strange choice there? That's yeah, a very really odd, weird, very odd design choice. Um, okay. It's funny you say that there's a sort of the, the whole baby pee thing, and like perhaps it was a, a lack of uh, sensitivity on the part of the developer. Do you know about the um, the Twitter excitement around the creator of Earthworm Jim, who did the graphics for this game? No. What should I know about that? Just, just <laughs> his Twitter's kind of interesting to read. He's fairly right wing and has some fairly strong views on whether homosexuals should be able to marry. Oh really? Great. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you, he pal. He's a charming fellow. Two fucking stars. Well, I was, I'm, I was I'm very delighted. glad. I'm delighted glad to give it a mediocre game. review. Yes. I didn't even hate it that much. Just yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. wasn't even worth it. Yeah. Like just what the girls say when they see your penis. I meant the designer guy, by the way, not yours, <laughs> Richard. When they see yours, they're always like, "Oh my god!" Um, so yeah, I'm just well, clarifying. just to clear myself, they don't see it for that reason. Uh, at some point. Never know also, that won't play in the audio version, so what Richard was doing then was showing us his penis. <laughs> um, so, just, so, just wanted to make it very clear for our listeners that, yeah, that's how that went down. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, so make sure YouTube... I'll, obviously, I'll cut that out of the YouTube version, obviously. Uh, so for live viewers only, and uh, so that, you know... That's uh, a special, a special Easter egg. <laughs> Shall we, um, we move on to another game? Because that was like, yeah, I don't even want to talk about it much because the way you were describing that was like making me like go, oh wow, this is so mad. Yeah. I just don't care. I just <laughs> don't care. And to think, I actively went after that code for you as well, Richard, so you could play that. I thought it, another game on first blush. I went, oh, that looks pretty cool. That looks interesting. Yeah. I'll get I that. Richard will like that. Oh, bollocks, it's garbage. You, you try and look out for me, I know, Ben. Sorry, mate. <laughs> hey, look. Bad game's a bad game. Well, yeah, making games is hard, man. Like, some pretty games turn out to not be very good. Yeah. <laughs> is that, was that a little... Is that a subway? A subway? God, I really Thank can't you. talk today. <laughs> that's subway, Adam. No, it's not a Segway, it's a subway. <laughs> I'm sticking to that. Get on the subway, and we're going to go to Metrica Plus. All right, Metrica Plus. That is a good segue, because a lot of the visuals in Metrica Plus are based around the London Tube map. So, see? It did work. Wow! I didn't even Um, realise. That's amazing. Right, Metrica Plus. So, when you first sent me this code, and I looked at the screenshots, I have to admit, I slightly rolled my eyes, because... The main character is a silhouette. It's obviously a platform game. The environments are all just kind of abstract colored blocks. Um, and it's that, like, it's almost a parody of like an indie platformer at this point. <laughs> like, it's just so in that style. Um, and so then I'll, I'll sit down and I start playing it. And the game builds itself as being a platform game inspired by infographics, which are the kind of ubiquitous data visualization tool that everyone seems to think is amazing right now online. Um, in the actual gameplay, what this amounts to is that you'll have a fairly simple environment of boxes and you know, blocks and maybe lines. And some elements of that environment are driven by your controls at the same time as your character is. So as you run towards the right-hand side of the screen, perhaps a platform at the top of the screen extends with you. 
or maybe every time you jump, a platform rises and then sinks back down again when you've stopped jumping. Or, and and it's difficult to give a lot of like hard and fast examples for that because these rules for like what affects what in the world are different on every single screen. Um, and so you, you you fall into this kind of groove as you play it of you go onto a new screen. The first thing you do is kind of everything you can with the controls just to figure out what the levers are that you can use to manipulate the environment. And then you, once you've done that and you've figured out, like, oh, on, on this screen, jumping does this, and moving right and left does this, and sliding down a ramp does this, then you start to try and piece this together to form a route through the screen where you're going to be able to get everything to move as you need it to, when you need it to, so you can get to the end of the screen. And so it's a sort of standard indie puzzle platformer with this wonderful kind of exploration and discovery sort of thing in there where you're kind of constantly feeling around to find these invisible rules under the bonnet. And for the first two levels of it, it is astonishing. Like, it's everything I want from a puzzle game. Puzzle games are kind of about the joy of learning, and this is a game where everything you do is... Like, every time you go onto a new screen, you have a whole new bunch of stuff to learn, and you sort of discover it, and you get to play around with it, and it feels really experimental and kind of toy boxy. And it's just so fun and satisfying. And then when you do piece everything together and find a way to build a path through the screen, you feel really clever. Like, it does everything a good puzzle game should do. And then in World 3, it introduces shooting. Mm. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, fine, shooting. And some of the shooting puzzles are really, like, time-insensitive and are about starting a bullet going towards that point where when it hits, it's going to make this change happen and then quickly running over to be in position to take advantage of the change. And so the game sort of feels like it's gone from being quite nice and sedate and playful into being kind of stressful and, and quite much more demanding of the player. And um, around this time, it also introduces a sort of checkpoint mechanic where you can you get these like nodes in space and you can go and activate them and then you've got a button you can press to just teleport back to that node and reset everything on the screen. So it's like a kind of reset button. So it lets them start having puzzles that you can irreparably break. So you can do the wrong thing, and now the puzzle can't be solved, and you have to reset it to try again. And then on the next level, they they want to start having changes happen to the world based on you using that mechanic. So now there's some changes that are happening that aren't wound back when you do this checkpoint reset. So they also give you a hard reset button. <laughs> so now you've got two reset mechanics to reset the puzzle. And as these mechanics layer on and the game gets more complex it slowly loses a lot of that kind of early excitement and all that, that lovely sense of like just free exploration and play. And it, it felt so, it's hard to describe, but it, it just had this really nice sense of like discovery. That was what it was all about. And it starts to lose that and starts to become much more a game of just trial and error and brute force and rope memorization. Um, and so... Where it ends up is definitely a very good game. Like, it's enjoyable all the way through. But, man, that first world, I thought I was playing a five-star game, like, on lists of the best indie games of the year type experience. And by the end of it, I was like, no, this is just really good. And really good's great. Like, you know, good props for that. But it's hard not to be frustrated by the missed opportunity that it represents. Like, I really feel like it could have... It could have and probably should have been a bit better than this. Fair enough. I mean, um, I get you know the, the mixed bag thing when it comes to indie games, where it's like let's let's have a concept, let's let's really go for it. I, it does make me a little bit sad when you said shooting. I was like, oh, yeah. 
really? Do you, do you need guns in this concept? I mean, it's a puzzle game to do with fucking infographics. Where do guns fit into that? Um, I mean, it's not like it throws 100 enemies at you in a level or anything. Like, you know, A level will have two enemies in it, and usually they're there because when you shoot them, something happens, and so it's a question of when you shoot them. But still, like, it's that thing of, man, I wish you could have figured out a way to do this game without me having to aim at stuff and you know pull the trigger and make it die. Like, I don't know. It just, it just feels like... I, I, wish, I wish they could have kept that core set of mechanics and not extended it out and just made more puzzles with that. Like, even if they're kind of repeating themselves, mm. the sense of progress and discovery was so nice, and then it all kind of gets a bit flabby and loses some of its elegance. So you're still finalising your thoughts on this, but there will be a written review up relatively soon. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Relatively Indeed. soon. Very, very soon, I think. Yeah, it does sound cool. Though. I mean, the visually, I mean, you guys should look it up, look up some screenshots, look up some video and stuff and see what what it is we're talking about. It has got a very distinctive style yeah. to it, Yeah, which is really cool. And that's one of the coolest things about indie games in general is when they really nail a vision and uh, you have to respect that sort of... What's it available on? Because I'm struggling to find it. I'm trying PC, to look it up now. PC, PS4, I think. Um, it's, it's also, I'm pretty sure it's an update of a Vita game. I think there was a Metrico yes. on, um, yes, I think you're on right. Vita. Is it and, Metrico? Yeah, Metrico. Oh, I was looking at Metrica. Ah, okay. Oh, yes, Adam yeah. wrote it incorrectly in the show notes. I'm oh, sure. did I? Yeah, I've, I've been doing that all through my review as well. I had to do a find and replace in the end. Yeah. I feel like it should be called Metrico, but it's not. It's called Metrico. And this oh, is called Metrico. Goods. This is Metrico Plus as well, so when I got stuck on one of the puzzles and went looking for playthrough videos, I found videos of people playing uh, the Vita version, and mm. obviously the Vita version has slightly different levels in a slightly different order, so I, I was watching, I watched him complete the puzzle I'd just completed and thought, brilliant, he's going to show me the solution to a completely different puzzle. Shit. <laughs> Frustrating. Right, my turn. I'm gonna Let's go from puzzles and infographics to a sport... That uses a lot of graphs and data to <laughs> maximise performance. Hey, there's a subway for you. Um, not many, <laughs> not many, not many subways to be found though it, on the usual F1 Formula race, uh, Formula One racing track. You don't often find subways on those. I have to say. Dangerous, if anything. Very, yeah. You get stuck in there. Whoa, tunnels. Like, well, I guess the tunnels. There's some obviously there's some famous tunnels. Monaco, for example, has a very famous tunnel. Uh, that that particular track. So that's uh, your mum's got a very famous tunnel. Really, Richards, you, re- you really did that. You really did that. What a recording on on air, knowing she listens to this. Mum, I will beat him up for you. He's in trouble now. He's in trouble. No more good games for Richards. Uh, he wanted recall to review. He won't be getting that now. It wasn't personal, um, mum. It's just you know, mum comments. Oldie but oldie but goodies. That's yeah. You you can't go wrong with a good mum comment. Right, well, F1. F1 2016. I like this. The title is like rebelling against the the, the sort of the conventional title titling system that EA and the 2Ks of the world have in place, which is if you release a game in one year, you need to name it the following year. So all (laughs) the games that are coming out this year are like Madden, you know, NFL 2017 and stuff, which is out right now. But it's not 2017, it's 2016, you fucking lying scumbags. So, yeah, t- F1 2016 is fully up-to-dated roster with the current drivers in their current positions. I mention that because, obviously, at the start of this season, Kvyat was at Toro Rosso. Uh, sorry, Kvyat was, sorry, was at Red Bull. And Verstappen was at Toro Rosso. And they switched seats about 
three, four, five races into the season. So that was uh, a bit of a cool change. But anyway, I could go into so much boring detail, even probably more than I could about wrestling, about F1. But I'm not going to do that because you'll both probably put yourselves <laughs> on mute and have a nap. Uh, so, I, I, you know, that's fair enough. But let me say this about F1 and F1 2016. This is a game more than ever for fans, for proper fans of this sport. The things they've added in, things such as the safety car, the virtual safety car, the fact that you have to manually slow yourself down to um, hit, uh, to get lower than the, the speed limit entering the pits, the fact that you have to be careful uh, to not incur a penalty when leaving or entering the pits by crossing the white line in the wrong place. Um, little details like this are just added throughout this game, and it makes it so awesome for a fan of the sport like me. I mean, Christ Almighty, you can do the formation lap. In what racing game have you ever experienced the option to go around the track once, not race, just go around once in your position on the grid, and then start again? You can do that in F1 2016. I don't know why you would. I mean, I very rarely do, but like you, you can do that. And it's it's cool that you can. Does it matter? Like, can you put heat into the tires? Yes, you... you can. You can totally oh, put heat into the tires. See, that's you great. Can, you can warm up the engine. It's a minimal thing. It's not going to give you like a huge improvement over performance but yeah you could totally put yeah heat into the tires and all stuff like that this game goes into the into the weeds of f1 like i've never seen before the amount of strategy you can customize on the fly when in a race um you know everything from your tire selections to your pitting strategies to your engine uh to the revs and limits to the to the fuel mixes to everything you can imagine it is amazing i was having one race right it's a little anecdote, and I'm bombing around, and I'm, I'm in the first place, and I'm doing really well. I'm playing most of this game on medium, uh, which I've actually bumped it up to hard, because I'm finding medium too easy now. But it, I was doing some medium, and I was in the first place. I've been pushing in first place, and not really paying attention too much. I thought, oh, this is on medium, this is fine. And then I get a message over the radio. Do you want to change your pit strategy? It's like, why would you be hinting at that? And then I, I look up, and you can bring the, the tire information up as you're racing. And this is all while you're racing. You can't pause the game and do this. This is while you're doing 200 miles an hour around a circuit with crazy bends and chicanes and you know trying to maintain position, trying to maintain speed. And I could see that my tire degradation on my front left tire was getting bad. And it was getting really bad really fast. So I then had to ease off on everything. And I had to go back from a 15 second lead all the way back to finish the race only a second ahead of my competition. Otherwise, I was 99% on that tire. If it hit 100, it would have blown, and I'd have lost. And it was like, my option, I could have pitted. But if I pitted, I would have come out in, like, fifth or sixth place. And then I had to fight up again with only, like, six laps left in the race. So I ended up having to just maintain it. And it's that's the kind of thing that Formula One drivers do. And it makes you feel like a Formula One driver. That I mean, sounds I'm, very cool, actually. I was going to ask you, what's so cool? Yeah. I was going to so ask, cool. what, what is the point of this game when you could just buy Forza and you've got F1 cars in it? Well, know? that's it. That's that's, the, the that's what makes it different. Yeah, yeah, that is what makes it different. It is the fact that it is so dedicated to the sport and to the what makes F1 the pinnacle of motor racing. That makes it this experimental cutting edge uh, you know racing experience and that's why I love watching it and that's uh, actually right now I've got qualifying sat on my my skybox ready to watch from Spa this weekend one of the best tracks in the Formula One season absolutely amazing amount of uh, variation in height uh, and incline in Spa fantastic track one of the, the longest one in the season I can't wait to watch that but you know like I said I wasn't going to bore you about F1 so. 
Try and get back on the game. I'm going to try and get back on the game. It's difficult. Um, but there's just so many cool things. Another cool, a couple, two more things that are great additions this year that were absolutely mind blowing to me. They brought back the proper career. So I am now Benjamin Stephen Hall, Stevenson Hall F1 race driver. I'm in the game. That's me. I'm racing now. And you can pick. You can do things like you can start at the very in the shittiest teams, or you can start in the mid teams or the top teams. You can do up to ten seasons, and you know based on performance, you can move between the teams. Uh, and then another cool thing that adds into all of this is they've made free practice matter. Now, if you're not a Formula One person, you're like, what the fuck is free practice? I've heard of qualifying. I know what racing is, but what's free practice? But basically, for a Formula One race weekend, starts on a Friday. And on Friday, there are two free practice sessions. And on Saturday morning, there's another free practice session. And then there's qualifying. And in these free practice sessions, you basically go out in your car and you get acclimatized to the track and you work out what best tire solutions work. And that's where the strategy for the race comes from. Now, that's now more than ever important in F1, the, the game itself, because they've added in these sort of like challenges that you have to complete within free practice. And if you do well in them, you get upgrade points that you can then use to upgrade your car and improve the performance of the vehicle, you know, later on down the season. Uh, and it's just, it's just making it feel like a true F1 experience. And it's so fucking cool. Not to mention it means it gives you more time on the track, which made it makes you better at the track, which makes you understand how the tyre use is going to work on the track, and all kinds of other effects. Other little details they've done, the weather, weather has never been more awesome in these games. Uh, when it's chucking it down, the handling completely changes on the cars. Um, even when it's like, you could, in a long full race, which is like two hours of racing, right, in the video game, you do a full race. It could, for example, it could be start clear, rain, the rain could stop, and then you've got to think about when to change your tires from wet or intermediate to slicks. And then all of that will have different handling modeling depending on the, the dampness of the track, which will change. It could, in theory, it's not happened to me, but it could rain, stop raining, dry out, rain again. And then you, you could be literally changing tires four or five times in a race because the weather effects are modeled so realistically. And, you know, every little tire choice, depending on the effect on the weather, will have an effect on how well you do in the race. And, yeah, you ask me the difference between this and Forza, there you go. It's incredible as a simulation. Absolutely amazing. So, honestly, love it. Love it to bits. Uh, the only reason it wasn't... Fo- that's yeah. quite niche, then. So there's, there's oh, it's no incredibly real... niche, yeah. I, I guess that if, if you want a simulation, that's great, but if you want anything a bit more stripped back, it doesn't really offer that, does it? Oh, no, you can play on easy, and you can just play a quick race, not do qualifying, not do free practice, pick the best team, Mercedes, bum around the track on easy. You know, you can absolutely play it like an arcade racer. It does have, you know, you have the whole pause time thing if you wanted to and rewind if you crash, if you want to play it like that. You can totally play it like that as an arcade racer with all the accessibility that you'd expect, you know, racing line, showing you when to brake, all of that can be used, and you can you can you can pick and choose what elements. You know, do I want ABS? Do I want the racing line to be shown? Do I want to know when to break the best break point is? You know, you can have all the assists on, or you can have a few of the assists on. You know, you can completely customize it as you want. It gives you total freedom to do that. Or you can do that. There is a mode in the game called Pro Season, which turns everything off and gives you the full race weekend. So you're talking. This is what every weekend would consist of. Three free practice sessions of an hour, a qualifying session of um, three stints, which would consist of 15 minutes and then slightly decreasing <coughs> time to 10, and then a race of around two hours. So you're looking at about four or five hours for one track in the season. So 
if yeah, if you want to do it like that, I didn't quite go that far, but I kind of I'm starting to eye it up. I might actually give it a go. Um, but if you want to do it like that, you can, or you can just jump in, do a race, jump, do a bit multiplayer, do a time trial, play it easy, you know, however you want. So the options are in there. So if you've just got a passing interest in F1, yeah, give it a go. You don't have to have the, the, the safety car or the virtual safety car or anything like that. You can just ignore all that and just play it like a, like a Forza, you know, a five-lap race. Or you can play a full race weekend with everything off, you know, or anywhere in between. So it, it's an amazing suite of features. Like, it is the most complete one they've done since uh, F1 2010, which was, like, the first time Codemasters had the license. So it's it's... It's phenomenally good. Yeah. Amazing game. And I still think that you, you'd probably go with Forza, wouldn't you, if you're, if you're just half interested in this sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, because you're going to be able to drive cars you know and recognise yeah, yeah. in Forza. I mean, think if, if, if what you want is a game where you can like race cars because you like you know racing games, probably, yeah, you get Forza. The appeal of this is, is about a real... Um, to be honest, the appeal for me for this would be that it's actually like, as someone who actually likes motorsport, the fact that it's got the rules of motorsport in it, where, you know, like flags matter and pit lane speed limits and those sorts of things, mm. that would be a huge part of the appeal to me because Forza doesn't have any of those things. Forza is like, you know, it's very pretty, but ultimately it's kind of eight bumper cars on a track. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> That's one of the great things I love about open wheel racing. It's also they've massively improved their damage simulation this in this uh, year's edition. So it's like you know if you if you can have it to just cosmetic, you can have it to reduced, or you can have it to full. I believe damage. Um, and it's it's intense. It's like you you don't need to do much to completely destroy yourself in this game. When you're doing 200 miles an hour, you try to undercut on a corner, you clip a guy on the outside, and you're spinning off into the barrier. You know your wheel breaks off or whatever. You know, you flip. You know, there's a lot of things can happen uh, when you're at those sort of speeds. Um, and it's so cool because there's this thing now in F1 where if a wheel breaks off, as it often does, they have tethers to prevent them just spinning off into the crowd or into the track. And all of that is now accurately modeled in the game. So when you have a crash in this game, it looks like a crash you'd see on TV, um, which you just don't normally get, like, that level of detail. It's a very impressive simulation. Um, you, it, it, yeah. Unsurpassed, man. Absolutely amazing. And I could wax lyrical about it for hours, but I probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a massive recommend. The only reason I didn't give it five stars, the only reason is that based on our scale of what five stars should be, which is doing it's doing something new and it's um, it's not just inno- innovating on what was there. You know, five stars to me is something that should be completely fresh and mind blowing. You know, and and uh, different. Well, this is the pinnacle of what these guys have been working on for 15 years, um, or for however long they've been on it. Like, ten, I think it's about 10 years they've been doing stuff. Um, and uh, and Codemasters, as you guys know, are like one of the best racing game developers mm-hmm. in, the, in the entire country. And this is, I feel like, the right at the very peak of what they've accomplished. I mean, better than the Dirt games, better than the Colin McRae games, better than the Toka games. It, it's it's phenomenal, just phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. Who wants to talk about something else? Uh, oh, God, how do I segue this one into Batman? Uh, Batman drives a car sometimes quite quickly. You mention the Forza thing there, couldn't you? Cause, what uh, Forza thing? I've completely forgotten. What Forza thing? Forza 6 is free. Oh, yeah, Forza. Right yeah. So, Which is play- I've forgotten that. Sorry, you've been playing Forza. Yeah, if you do want something a bit more relaxed than uh, simulation-heavy F1 game, Forza 6 is free to play until the end of tomorrow. So download it now. 
It's only 50 gigs, so if you're lucky, it'll be finished downloading by the time you actually want to play it. <laughs> if you're listening right now, you might have time. Uh, don't get me wrong, though. I've got Forza 6. Um, that's a great game. That is a beautiful racing game. Absolutely amazing. Like Really good in multiplayer. Um, loads of cool cars. Really good car modeling. Um, play it's it in cockpit. It's the first one with Always proper weather effects, I think. And it, it, From what I've played, it really makes a difference with the, mm-hmm. the, the puddles on the tracks where you, you really don't want to go through them. It's not just aesthetic. It makes no. it... A massive difference to the yeah, game F- itself. So. F1 does something very good. Oh, F1, the, the, yeah, it's the same thing. Um, but I want to just throw this out here. Like, what, One of the things that makes racing games on Xbox One specifically so goddamn good are those triggers. Because you have the specific yeah. rumble tension trigger. I feel like they gave them a name. But that's in those triggers on that controller. And you can feel the, the traction and the break points and yeah. where they how to, You can feel it. In the triggers, it, and that's in Forza as well, and it's as well as F1, and it's so awesome, like it feels so good that you can you get that feedback, and it's not just like you're looking at the screen and and listening and trying to work out based on like how the car's handling just visually, because you can actually feel it in the controller, um, and I, obviously the DualShock can't do that um, on on the PlayStation, and I think if you're a racing guy, yeah, the console of choice should be your Xbox One, uh, unless of course. You know, I say console of choice because on PC you get yourself a fucking super rig with a wheel and yeah. a full fucking cockpit if you want. So and you're not, you're, you know, you can have four monitors and yeah, yeah. If you're PC, a hardcore racing guy, you've got a force feedback wheel, so I don't think yeah. it matters. Triggers are like <laughs> no, no, no. If you if you can if you want to put that money in on on PC, well, you can't beat that. But anyway, uh, but uh, yes, Batman he drives a car sometimes. Do you get to drive a car sometimes in the Batman game uh, by Telltale <laughs> on Xbox One currently, in which you played the first episode, Richard? You get subway. To see. That's a very good subway. You get to see a, a car. Um, I don't know if you, you could be described as being able to drive one. I'm not sure you could really describe the any of this is playable in any sense. <laughs> it's not actually a game, is that what you're saying? No, Batman, it's not. Not a game. Do you remember the old days when you had QTEs because they wanted to show off really amazing graphics, but they couldn't show off really amazing graphics because it would be too complicated to do that in a real game environment, so they made it a QTE. Mm. Imagine if they made a QTE on an engine that do not fucking work, and hasn't worked for years, and looks like dog shit. That's Batman. So I heard they'd improved the engine. I heard they'd gone back and they'd done some... No. No, no, not true. No, it's so so awful. I mean, I haven't played a Telltale game on Xbox One yet. This is the first one I've tried. And even in cutscenes, and, you know, the game is pretty much a cutscene end-to-end, you get stuttering, you get characters walking like... Um, I don't know, it's like stop motion animation sometimes, it's so bad and you just can't fathom why it would do this in in this day and age where we've got backwards compatible Xbox 360 games that run at double the frame rate that they did back in the day, and this is basically a 360 game still, and it still won't run, I cannot understand how it's so bad and as I say, it, it's a cutscene from end to end. There is no real excuse for it. Nothing's happening on screen that the developer doesn't know is going to happen because it, it's just one long cutscene um, with 
maybe two or three interactive sections throughout the first episode. Some of it's quite interesting in a Batman-y kind of, he's a detective really way, you know? There's there's scenes that you can investigate. Um, you might pick up different elements in the environment and say, well, how does that connect to the thing next to it? And then you work out how the clues connect and work out what happened there. But all of it feels clumsy and completely pointless when you know that there's a trilogy of really excellent Batman games in existence already that do that sort of thing without being a cutscene end to end so I don't get why it exists and the whole thing that Telltale are famous for, they run this entire franchise of theirs um, these decision making games on the decisions what are you going to choose, what's the outcome that's going to happen as a result of your choice and because it's Batman, you, you know what's going to happen. It riffs on his parents' death again. Obviously, it does. <laughs> and at one point, uh, this isn't really a spoiler because it's not a major choice in the game, but you get the option to petulantly destroy a memento of his parents' death. Like, who is buying a Batman game and wants Batman to piss all over his parents' grave? I don't understand why this exists at all. Shouldn't the question be, why does he have a memento of his parents' death? Shouldn't that be the... Dude, Batman has not got over his parents' death. He's quite upset about it. I don't I've know heard. if you've noticed. <laughs> it does come up occasionally, you know. Mm. I've never... I've made... So what you're saying is, Richard, I've given you two amazing games to, to review in the last few weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very frustrated with Telltale at the moment. It feels like... Um, where I got to with Lego, Telltale are going that way, just adopting any franchise they can get their hands on, whether it makes sense or not. Even the choices that you do make in this just make absolutely no sense. There's um, kind of an interrogation scene, and you can choose whether to torture the guy to get the answer or not. I didn't, because Batman wouldn't. And obviously that's the choice you're going to make if you're playing a Batman game. So... When Gordon comes in, Commissioner Gordon comes in, and um, he's like, all right, Batman, I notice, you, I notice you didn't rough this guy up. I've acknowledged your lack of violence, and then it flashes across the screen. I acknowledge your lack of violence, says Commissioner Gordon. And then in the next scene, Alfred's like, you beat the fucking shit out of that guy. What is wrong with you? No, I didn't, Alfred. Read the oh, script dear. later. So, <laughs> yeah, don't work. I haven't even thought it through. Don't buy it. So, uh, have you have you ever liked a Telltale game? I'm, I'm trying to work out if this is antipathy towards this particular one, or if this is just you don't really like the way they make games. I've been worn down because I really, absolutely loved Walking Dead. Fair because, enough. Um, I played that through with the wife, and actually, we I did a bit of this with her as well because there's quite a neat feature called crowd play. I think it is where instead of um, saying, right wife, what should I press X? Wh which one? Instead of doing that, she can log into the game with her iPad and just choose for me. Or it'll be, it'll be a cumulative vote thing. So if there's a group of you in the room, you can all vote for what the choice is that you want, and then it'll yeah. pick the majority choice. That's so cool. That, that's a really neat feature. It just be, It's just unfortunate that none of the choices in this game make any difference whatsoever and if they do it's completely contrary to the character of Batman anyway so you wouldn't want to choose them. I mean I, I reviewed 
what was it I reviewed? I reviewed on the Xbox One. I reviewed the Game of Thrones first episode, and I also did Tales from the Borderlands first episode. Um, I much preferred the Tales from the Borderlands one, probably because it was so weird and such a strange choice that they were doing a narrative game based on that universe. Um, I had reservations about that, but from this experience of Batman, I can see that makes more sense because it's Mm. not established characters. You Mm. can make them do anything you like, and it would, you know, there's more of a sense of you forging your direction on that. But here it's just just so massively dissonant to the character that you you feel you have to go along with what you know Batman is. Mm. It just feels redundant. The thing I was always told about Tales of the Borderlands, because I've got a couple of friends who really like those games, uh, is they said that the classic problem with Telltale is exactly what you said, that like it offers you these choices, but it can't really branch to the level that it would need to to reflect proper different consequences to those choices. Mm. Uh, so what's nice about Tales of the Borderlands is it's because it's not a particularly serious world, you're essentially just kind of voting for the jokes you want to see. <laughs> like, Tales of the Borderlands games are very kind of silly, so... Your choice matters because it decides what sort of gag you're going to see next, and that's it, like enough to make them worth playing. But in a more serious game like this, I can easily imagine that, like, you know, you want there to be actual consequences and real influence on the world, and you're not going to be able to do that because that's just not how these games work. Okay. Well, I look forward to reading your full review when you've. I'll take it you finished it. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I finished it just before the, the. Yeah, before we started recording. So. Oh, so that's why you're onto this it's, this euphoric high right now. But I do look forward to seeing your, your words, because I know you consider your stuff very closely. But before I move on to another game by one of us three, I want to shine a light upon the wider BXB game universe and talk a bit about what our other creators have done in the last couple of weeks. Um, Rob has done a fabulously long and in-depth written piece, more than I thought possible, about what a game, a game that looked so simple. But you wonder to yourself when you when you see a Rob review and you realise, ah, he's going to take this in places that you would not expect, and he does. And he talks about Inversus in a very entertaining fashion, and I highly recommend it. And I will point out as well, he very much liked this game, and I really want to play it actually. I, I've seen it in motion recently, um, and I don't think the screenshots do it justice. So you should definitely check out some video of Inversus as well. Um, that looks like, it looks like a really cool take on the short shooter mechanics, uh, and it's available on PS4. I believe only on PS4. It might be PC as well. Um, yeah, definitely. Based on Rob's view, I would definitely say check that one out. <coughs> uh, in addition to that, Steve, Steve, Stephen had a look at uh, Rivals of Aether or Ether. What do you think, Aether or Ether? What do you think? What's the consensus? Is it Aether? Yeah. It is, yeah. That's Ether. That's Ether. But I thought Ether was without the A. Is it Ether either way? No, it's, 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 it's Ether either way, way yeah. <laughs> but that A E together like that is pronounced E. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, you're an English boy. Calm down. Jesus. Like English boy, tragic fantasy nerd boy. I've seen that uh, word a lot. Oh, right, right. That works. Okay. Uh, yeah, look, anyway, he looked at Rivals of Aether. <coughs> Aesop's Fables. That's E, look. Aesop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> to Rivals of Ether, and it's basically Super Smash Brothers esque style brawler, uh, beat 'em up game, and it's in kind of what do they call it? Game preview on Xbox One. I think that's the technique, yes, the term for it. God, just so nondescript in its uh, in its banality that one. Um, but yeah, yeah, he looked at that and he thought it was alright. It was alright, but check out his review. It's not a review because it's not out yet, so it's more of a preview. But it's a game preview preview. I don't know. One of those things. Uh, and then finally, but definitely not uh, the least of the three, a very entertaining video review from Cameron, 
about Grand Pigeon's Duty. Watch it. If you watch it for anything, just yeah. watch it for the brilliantly theatrical intro. I feel I feel inspired by Rob's output. I do. I like the fact that we've got we've got contributors who are sort of trying to one up each other a little bit, you know. I stick to a I stick to a very specific style for my video content. But these guys I like the fact that they're fighting each other a little bit on, on who can do the craziest videos. And I've got to say, Cameron has set the bar pretty high with this one. It goes with some proper dramatic theatrics, and I certainly enjoyed watching it. The game is complete garbage, according to him, oh. but like, the, the video review he did, don't think of the pigeons, think of the pigeons. <laughs> it's just so good to have, I laughed watching that. Oh, it was re- that was really good. I really enjoyed that. I'm now, I'm now going to go from pigeons, oh, subway, how... Yeah, I'm gonna, Where's he going? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Oh, where should I go? I can't think of a way of doing this one. I really can't. I've been playing Deus Ex, Man- Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which is easy for me to say. Um, like when yeah. mankind is divided over whether to call pigeons or not. No one's divided over that. There is, do you know what? There is a segue slash subway that I hadn't thought of. That, that it's uh, pi- the Grand Pigeon's duty is set in the future. Where men, where people have like replaced a lot of their innards with like like steam engines, I think it is, or petrol engines. Cameron says in his review, so they they augment themselves. So they're all they they like a lot of the characters in Mankind Divided. I went Welsh for the end bit there. I don't know why. Uh, there, I, there are some Welsh. I think there is a Welsh character in Mankind Divided as well. That's a bit strange. <laughs> but anyway, in Deus Ex: Mankind Divided, you play as Adam Jensen as you did in the previous Deus Ex game, which was, I think. Human Revolution. It wasn't. Yes. Oh, I pulled that one out there. I was lucky. Um, and it's this is weird. I I put quite a lot of time into this game already, and I still often I'll have a, a fairly strong opinion of the game fairly quickly uh, and feel where I'm going to go with this. But I am really struggling um, with Mankind Divided because it's more Deus Ex. It's more of the Deus Ex that was established in Human Revolution. I want to be specific about this. It's not Invisible War, and it's certainly not. The original Deus Ex, but it's very much more of the, the modern reboot. Though it's been five years since we had that game. So I, I was perhaps expecting to see a little bit more innovation with this experience. Um, it's still the mixture of sort of stealth action RPG that you, you'll remember from that game, which is solid enough. Um, it's still, you know, that got that the, the, the element on exploration and where you're poking around in people's apartments and hacking doors and computers and, and reading laptops and reading pocket tr- secretaries and weirdly finding ebooks everywhere. Not Kindles or ebook readers, but just ebooks, which is some strange terminology there, but hey, it's the future, so you can get away with it. Um, you know, it's still got it's got a lot of those elements that you remember from Human Revolution. But it's not really Taking anything in any new directions, it's it's distinctly a sequel. Um, it's very much following on from the ends of Human Revolution. Now, do you guys remember the end of Human Revolution? No, you guys never got anywhere near it. So basically, at the end, you were given a, a series of Mass Effect style choices, like at the end of Mass Effect Three, which would result in would result in a few specific things happening. Now, you'd either have the one where you saved everyone the one where you'd saved some people, and the one where the world was fucked. If I remember rightly, I am trying to remember this. But basically, the canon, the canonical uh, upshot of what happened at the end was in Mankind Divided, you come to a world where the there was a signal sent out to the, the augmented people on the planet, of which there were many, many millions, and it could sort of made them all go crazy into like a homicidal rage and murder and just kill loads of the humans around them. 
So this has happened in a world where people are already a bit unsure about these augmented people. So the obvious reaction here is stick them in ghettos, fuck them, fuck them, right? So basically, you're in Prague, right, which happens to be this city which really embraced the augments, really, really was like actively trying to bring them into it to its uh, border and like bring them in and like help them build this wonderful society of humans and augmented people. Let's all live happily ever to go together and be really close and integrated. And of course, then when this thing happened, yeah, a lot of people got killed, a lot of people, and I shouldn't make light of it. But I, you know, at the same time, the game kind of doesn't take it that seriously in a weird way. It's very surface level kind of dealing with all of these issues but anyway yeah so all these people get killed so in Prague it's like everybody's watching Prague to see how they react to this and what they do and they, they're segregating they're, they're putting them you know they've got you've got these images you've probably seen from screenshots and trailers of like you know queuing up to get on the to get on the subway uh, you know, the subway's back, hey, subway segue. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like they're splitting the lines between humans and orgs, you know, and they're making the orgs take different part, get on different parts of the train. I can see Adam's face already, because he loves it when they deal with political situations in video games, but don't deal with them quite well enough. It just sounds, it sounds a little heavy-handed. <laughs> oh, God, it's so heavy-handed. Like, every time I get off at a new station, right, a new policeman will ask for my documents, and he'll basically be like, you're right, clank. Clank is one of their favourite, like, uh, derogatory terms. For, yeah, it's quite... Yeah, it makes sense. That I also had Hansa as well, which I thought was quite a deep cut, um, you know, when it comes to that. If you look that word up, I believe that is also basically saying the same thing. But anyway, I don't, you're right, Clank, give me your papers. Ooh, not sure about that. And then Gentle will say something like, can you hurry up because I've got to get somewhere. He goes, right, shut the fuck up, dude. You will wait here or I will kick your fucking face in. That's basically how all the police are in Prague. <laughs> They're not nice. Uh, and it's weird. I started this game off, right, trying to not kill people. And I, I think this is maybe where the subtlety of this game, but the, the, not necessarily subtlety, but the cleverness comes in. I'm trying to trank the police. I'm like, yeah, just doing their job. They're not all bad. They're not all bad. I don't want to kill all these people. That's wrong. You know, I'm, I'm, tr I'm a good guy, ostensibly, right? But the more they get in my face and insult me, and the more they're assholes to me, the more I'm like, well, I've got my revolver. Headshot, motherfucker. Dropped you, didn't I? Yeah, I've got my nice little slicey blades. I'm going to gut you like a pig, pig, like this. I, I, I'm starting to really hate the police in Prague, it turns out. Like, you know, not in reality. I'm sure they're lovely, the police in Prague. But the police in, the police in, the police in Deus Ex Mankind Divided are assholes. I've, not, I've met, like, one nice one, but the rest of them are just, like, we're here just to beat up augmented people. You know, we just want to put guns in their faces and blow off their testicles. You know, and they, they are not nice. And so this is where I'm kind of like a little bit confused by this game. It's like, is this their intention? Are they trying to evoke this reaction? Are they trying to make me change how I'm playing based on the prejudice I'm having to experience as the main character? Because if it is, that's quite clever. That's quite that's quite impressive piece of storytelling and piece of game design. Um, I'm not sure if they are, though. I'm not sure if it's sort of like an accidental in sort of just thing that's sort of happened along the way, or maybe just because I'm insane. Um, I was going to say, it's, it's probably more you. So it's probably more me. In the game. Yeah, I just want to kill police. <laughs> man. Just like but I do normally play these open world games as a good guy, you see. I always try to be the good guy. I always try and be the hero. I try and do the right thing in these games. I like to play as a hero character. I don't normally enjoy games like GTA, for example, where you have to be a villain or you have to be the criminal. Um, so I'm finding that I, my, my, my play style has altered a little bit. Uh, and I've already put in dozens of hours into this. Um, 
but based on just the fact that it doesn't seem to be innovating that much on what came before, what it's doing is doing fine. Though I will say this, it's funny as hell, all hell this. So you'll be looking around Prague and you'll be like, oh my god, that's beautiful. Look at this. Look at this cityscape. That's amazing. Look at those... Look at the detailing in this environment. Look at the, the woods on these panels. It looks so real. And then you'll talk to someone, and it's like they're a puppet with their mouth going, nah, 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 <laughs> and the words just sort of come out. And it's like they didn't spend any time on character models or lip syncing, or voice acting is pretty ropey as well, but they spent mm. all the time on beautiful environmental art. Like stunning environmental art. But man, their characters are bad. especially in the side missions or the incidental characters they're just like they've made so little effort to make it look real it's so strange and they spend all their time criticising you for not being a real human being brilliant yeah exactly (laughs) exactly double fucking standards Square Enix but um, you know the game is all about corporate espionage really and it is a it's an unrelentingly de- just devoid of humour world. It's like so dour and so serious. And, you know, I've, I've, there's this place in it called Gollum City, which is the name of the the ghetto where a lot of the orcs have to live, right? Uh, and it's just, I've just, oh god, it's just horrible. And it's so heavy-handed, and it's, it's a slum, and the police are just going around brutalising people, you know, just for any excuse they need, any reason. And it's definitely, it definitely wants you to intervene. And it and it's uh yeah, it's a horrible place and it's hard to enjoy a game which is so, un, just horribly serious. But I, I keep wanting to go back. I I kind of want to play it right now. Talking about it, I mean it's got some interesting elements. Uh, I like the freedom of choice that you have with a lot of the encounters. Uh, I like the stealth in that game. One thing they've done to sort of change things up a little bit with the augments is they've given you these like hidden experimental augments that you didn't know you had, and it comes out of the early part of this game. You have like you survive a terrorist bombing. Yeah, great. Uh, and you know it shocks to your system, and you find you find out you've got like these ten weird augmentations that you didn't know were there, which is a brilliantly strange contrived way of giving you new powers without <laughs> giving you new powers. It's clever. It's quite clever. Um, but they're all a bit unimportant. They don't really change much about the way you play the game. Or and then one of the things you have to do is if you pick one of those, you over, your system overheats. And if your system overheats, um, you start getting glitches and having problems like using your, your ability. So you have to turn off another augment. But the problem is you don't just turn it off once, like you know, and you can switch it on again. It's a permanent thing. So if you turn off an augment, you can never use that one again. So it's like you have to make some really sort of kind of like permanent choices, which is which is cool, I guess. But the the, the things they're giving you as to entice you to do that are not that interesting. Um, Beyond that, you know, there's not. It's a pretty game, like I said. Environments, the character models are bad. The story's interesting in some ways, but I'm, I'm normally I'd be thinking about, you know, I've done nearly 30 hours in this. I'd be thinking about a review, but I might actually want to go all the way through to the end of here because I feel from what I've heard about the end of this, um, and from what I've heard about um, how it ties up, I kind of want to see the whole thing through before I even sit down for it. So it might be a bit of a late one, guys, on this coverage, but. So it's a curious experience. Yeah. <coughs> any questions? Any thoughts? Did you guys play the previous one? Um, I stopped playing the previous one for the same reason I stopped playing all stealth games because it feels like it punishes you for not doing 100% perfect stealth. So is it the same? I... But you're more relaxed about that anyway, though, aren't you? So I suppose yeah, that's yeah, just I'm my hang-up. And also, I, I really, Human Revolution doesn't punish you for not being stealthy. In fact, it rewards you for not being stealthy. 
I'm thinking in terms of trophies and achievements. It there is an achievement in there. Oh, for, okay. There is an achievement in there well, for not know. killing anyone. Um, if, if you're going to let badges ruin amazing games, you know, that's going to be your business. We know, we know Gamer Score obsessed Richard. We know what he's oh, like. God. He has to get his 1,000 GS or it's not finished because he's mental. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no two ways about it, Rich. That's mental. Um, it's it's better that than having to switch a light switch on and off 30 times or my whole family dies just get some achievements you know as as obsessions go it's harmless (laughs) fair enough that's that's valid as well Um, but yeah stay tuned for that review I'm I'm still up in the air about where that's going to go but I'm I'm, I'm curious I'm curious to play more I definitely want to experience some more right where are we where are we I've got more games god I'm Tired from talking about Deus Ex, though. Um, should we, before I go back to those, let, let's quickly touch on one thing. We spoke a lot about No Man's Sky two weeks ago. We did. Didn't we? we spoke a lot about No Man's Sky two weeks ago. Uh, I think we spoke about half an hour, 40 minutes on that. Yeah. I think none that of us. probably burnt all of us out on No Man's Sky. <laughs> none of us have played a minute of it since. Nope. Now, I mean, how were you feeling about? I mean, what's your thoughts? I'm kind of waiting and seeing right now. I'm curious to see what happens once they've got the bugs fixed and the patches sorted, and once they start doing like you know some post-game support on this, like getting getting some content out there for it. I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, but I have no inclination to play anymore right now. No, I can't think of a game I've hit the wall so hard with. I mean, I went from like playing it for eight hours a day to just one morning you'd load it up and just think, nah, man, <laughs> I'm just I'm done. And then like, you just close it down and never, I've never even felt a glimmer of wanting to play it since. Um, it's an interesting one. I mean, we're not alone, by the way. It's one of the fastest uh, drops in played on like on Steam you can monitor how many people are playing it and the numbers went off a cliff uh, about three days after release uh, it went from being like what the most highly played game on Steam for those three days to no one's playing it um, and it's it's not hard to see why when, when you sort of look at the game properly um, it's just a bit of a it's like it's a wonderful engine and I'd love to make a game in it um, but there is no game there. There just isn't. Uh, I'm kind of like I'm trying to avoid getting too deep into the accusing Hello Games of misleading people. But as a, as a game developer, I have some sympathy for the position they're in because when people ask you if, if this feature or that feature is in your game, if you tell them precisely the extent to which that feature is present, there's little doubt that you are actually hurting their experience of the game. Like they are going to enjoy the finished product less. These all video games are magic tricks, and if you start to reveal the secrets while people are playing them, yeah. you do just like damage their enjoyment. Having said that, I don't entirely feel like I paid forty pounds for the game I was expecting, and I wasn't deep into the hype culture around it. I was expecting a game where I could just fly around the planets and name the animals, and the game would remember those names. But it does sort of turn out that's not the game I got. Like it doesn't remember those names. If you return to your initial planet. Those names are gone. Oh, is so, that right? This is what people have found. There's been three or four people now who have retraced their steps and gone back to their initial planet and discovered that those names are not there anymore. So where are they saved then? Because if nowhere people people can discover them though, right? So well, no, I've never seen a, a an animal discovered by another player, and I've been trying. Like that was my explicit goal 
was to find you someone else's just planet. A, you're talking just animals, not the planets themselves? Well, I'm talking... So I've had some odd experiences with the planets as well, where I've been to systems, and on one screen it'll tell me, here's a list of all the planets here, and they're clearly player-named. But yeah. when I fly around in the galaxy and point myself at those planets, they don't have those names. They have random names. So right. I think there's just there might just be bugs happening. But That's when probably that... down to server issues, isn't it? Because if you check when you're connected to the server, you're yeah, yeah. invariably you're not. You, it disconnects you without telling you quite frequently. No, it so I wonder if that's part of the problem. But like, for me, like once that feature is suspect, once that's buggy or not working, like there's nothing left in the game at that point. Um, and I do think that there's a video doing the rounds of that Jurassic Park intro thing with all the beautiful dinosaurs oh, by the river. Oh, and like, no, that is not at all. That's that's so different to the game we got. I mean, it just is. So I do feel like. I feel like there was some, certainly like, I, I don't mind so much the stuff he said in interviews, but the trailers are so heavily doctored. If you go back and look at some of the earlier trailers, there's no way they were gameplay. Like, they must have been pre-rendered and properly, like, manufactured, because I don't believe the game ever looked like that, because so you now, wouldn't take some of that shit out. Now we, now we get to the question of, of culpability and stuff. Like, it's a case of... Was it actively trying to deceive, or was it, you know, uh, miscommunication, or is it misunderstanding? Uh, when you're talking about the the planet stuff and the the the, the data not being saved, you you have to now ask, was that ever in there, or is it saying they hope to get in there, or did it ever work? Has it ever worked? Is it ever going to be yeah. in there? I mean, I mean it's, I would, a case of, it's a case I, of are they are they feeding us bullshit, or is it a mistake? Is it, yeah. I understand that like technical problems can occur, but at the same time, I sort of feel like like test your fucking game, basically. And when you ship it, I'm going to judge it based on what it does on my computer. I'm not going to go, oh, well, they're probably intended for this to work. It just happens to not do. Like, Don't release it if it doesn't work. Particularly on the Steam release, you could have delayed it more. You had options to like get some proper QA in. You had Sony money. All of this could have been ironed out because the network requirements of this game are nothing like as heavy as anything that's like properly multiplayer. Mm. Like as soon as you've got two player characters in a world together, that's so much more complex than what is essentially just a shared database, which is what the game should be operating on. And if it can't even deliver that, like what did what what, what are they playing at? Like it really infuriated me that one. It does feel like it's becoming a bit of a con, doesn't it? I do feel slightly like that, yeah. Like I said, I'm trying not to get too deep into the tinfoil hat stuff. Um, but we were, all, we were all sold an ideal. Like, if you go back, there's a trailer you can go back and watch from, from not that long ago, from only six months ago, that has the guy walking around the fucking planet from Dune, and it's all beautiful sand. There's, it's not the obvious kind of textured identical geometry that every planet seems to have. It's proper sand dunes, it's a whole different feel, there's atmospheric effects, there's like dust kicking up, and then a huge sandworm rolls past. Now, there's no way that could happen in the game right now. Like, that simply isn't a feature. I don't, I can't envisage a world where that gets implemented to that level and then cut. I'm sorry, that's just not how game development works. That wasn't cut, that was never there. That, that trailer must have been a fabrication. Richard? Sony do have form for overselling, don't they? 
I mean, Killzone comes to mind. Killzone 2 is the obvious. Uh, was it Killzone 1 or Killzone 2? Uh, uh, one, either, one either way, one of them. That was the famous one. Hmm. Um, they've definitely misrepresented it. I mean, not everyone will have believed it. I don't think I did. And I, I nearly didn't buy the game. I bought it just because I wanted something to play and I was interested to see what it actually was. I was fairly certain it wasn't what they pretended it was going to be. Um, so I don't have any great annoyance around the issue. Um, I just haven't played it. And I think that's mainly because when you do start playing it, for all its faults, it is an addictive game. And I don't want to sit there for eight hours. And, and, not, and not achieve anything. That's the thing. And not do anything. So you sit there for eight hours and you don't really accomplish anything. Where, you know, Deus Ex, right? I'll sit there for eight hours and I'll do some story missions and I'll get closer to the ending and I'll, you know, that sort of thing. Or, you know, your your army crog, you sit there for two hours and, and you, you know, you finish, you get into a, through enough some more puzzles and you get towards the ending. There, there isn't any reason to play. No, I mean, right. you you can upgrade your ship, you can carry more stuff. That's that's fine. I mean, it's not really achieving anything though. I mean, I I used to spend ridiculous hours playing Fantasy Star Universe and that was barely a game either I suppose it was kind of the same thing over and over again but at least you had that multiplayer element so you could share that experience of saying oh look what I found look what level my gun is now and that made a big difference this just doesn't have that yeah and also we played Fantasy Star together and I definitely I think we've talked about it before on this podcast and said like it's kind of it was a bad game, but it was the best like chat application we'd ever used. Yeah, and that's yeah. what we used it for. But man, think about how much more content there is in Fantasy Star Universe than there is in No Man's Sky. Like No Man's Sky has got nothing going on, um, and also like even things like so I, I I was really happy with the multi tool I had. It's like a twenty slot multi tool, and so until someone offered me something significantly better, I wasn't going to upgrade, because I was fed up of having to go mining all the stuff to rebuild all my upgrades that you lose when you get a new multi-tool. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting offered 22-slot multi-tool. No, I don't want it. Next planet I go to, 22-slot multi-tool. Do you want this? No, I don't want it. Do you want this 22-slot multi-tool, though? Like, it won't go higher than that. It's nope. There's an actual, like, limited kind of grind where the game just sort of goes, okay, give him the next multi-tool on the 50 multi-tool chain we've got planned out here. And again, like once you notice that's how the systems are working, it's such like an immersion breaker. Ditto with my spaceship. I really like my spaceship I've got. I, think, I like it the way it looks. So I don't want to upgrade it unless I'm getting something significantly better. But I'm never going to get anything significantly better because the game's going to cap out every ship I find to be just a little bit better. So that I have to do that a hundred times before I really get into the high-end stuff. And it's just like... I, I was not expecting the game to have such a cynical um, grind under the bonnet of it all. Like, it's just yeah. not fun. It's aware of how limited it is in content, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, it's, it just drips it out as slowly as it possibly can. And, and once you've noticed that about the equipment and stuff, you, then you start to wonder if it's happening with the planets as well. Like, is it essentially going, well, once you've visited 15 planets, this is the pool of assets we'll start drawing from. And then once you've been to 30, we'll start drawing from here. I wouldn't rule out the possibility that it's doing that. And again, that's not the game I bought. I bought a universe to explore, not spawn in a planet based on my level of progression. But the problem is, when you when you buy a universe to explore that exists because of maths, everything will be limited because of maths. Oh yeah, for sure. And I wasn't I wasn't anticipating like infinite variety in the planets, but 
what I was anticipating. Like I even when the first time we talked about it, I sort of felt I, one of the things I wanted to say was I kind of wished that the planets were more boring. I wished there were like that life planets were a bit rarer and felt a bit more special. Yeah, yeah. It, the experience ends up being so homogenized. Yeah. That it doesn't actually matter. Like exploring doesn't matter because what's over that hill? Exactly what's here. There's no reason to go anywhere. I've had that conversation elsewhere. That in in its uh, I don't know in its zeal to try and make sure every possible planet yeah. you can find has something on it. It ironically loses something from the experience. I would far rather there were just. Rocks upon rocks, you know, with yeah. nothing, nothing around, and that you could use that map a bit more intelligently. The map is useless. Mm. It's basically an arrow, isn't it? it yeah, might it's just cool. be an arrow. So I'll go there next. You don't need. Well, yeah, else. The, the fact that most planets have like two hundred fucking homogenized little settlements on them, and you know, two hundred fucking they're, monuments. They're, they're and all, all that, exactly yeah. the same. I'd ra- much rather a, a richer star system map that said, right, go here, scan these planets, most of them are dead, but this one looks interesting, and then you yeah. could find the, you know, the diamond in the rough, the one that really yeah, makes exactly. a difference. Yeah. If, if, the first, if ten planets you land on in a row are dead moons, and then suddenly you land on Eden, yeah, that's going to feel incredible, but when every other planet you land on is Eden in a different fucking colour, it just doesn't have the same appeal. Well, like I said last week, we'd be back on No Man's Sky, and I suspect this won't be the last time we talk about this as well. Uh, I suspect there'll be crazy patches that'll draw us back in with new content of some kind um, within the next few weeks, maybe maybe towards the end of the year, and we'll come back. I think there'll be something that brings us all back at, to back to it at some point. But, uh, it's frustrating because, like, all, literally a job board. You add a job board in a patch to that game, huge difference straight away. Give me tasks to do. Ask me to ferry some object to this space station in this system. Give me some reason to go and do anything. Because because exploration doesn't work as a justification when where you're going to is the same as where you are. And that's basically the problem. Yeah, that sums it up well. Um, something that seems to have also lost a little from its hype and from its previous installment... Um, we will, well, me and Richard, I don't know about you, Adam, but me and Richard have been playing a little bit of Titty Fool 2. A little bit of Titty Fool 2. Titty Fool 2. No, it won't. No, no, it's PlayStation as well now, and I think, I think oh, PC as well. Um, because EA haven't done the, the crazy deal they did with the first game and, and tie it up just to Xbox. Just to There must have been some crazy money in there like for that. But yeah. Uh, anyway, Titty Fool 2. And what's it called? An alpha tech test? Something like that, tech test, alpha, anything to make it not be called a beta, because everybody knows now a beta is just a demo, isn't it? So it's can't call it that. And now alpha's also lost some of its shine as well now. It's now a pre-alpha technical. Pre-alpha. And the game is out in what, like two months? October. Yeah, so how is that, how could that be pre-alpha? What a load of bollocks. As a quick aside. As someone who has played actual alphas, the use yep. of the word alpha in Terrible. fucking customer-facing documentation from this industry drives me up the fucking wall. Yeah, yeah. You know what alpha really looks like? It looks broken. It looks like yeah. untextured shit. Placeholder assets and yeah. just yes. broken shit everywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. like if you walk into a room and there's literally just text floating in space that says <laughs> big boss fight. Yeah, that's the alpha. Yeah. Mm. So this though is a pre-alpha, guys. So that means it's even. Uh, this is just a design document on the screen. <laughs> yeah. 
That's all this is. It's an it's a bullet points. We've got we've got two pages of bullet points. And what did you think of those bullet points, Richard? I was a little bit disappointed. Um, no, but seriously though, um, I was a little bit disappointed. They seem to have turned Timefall Timefall into very much more Call of Duty, um, yeah. based on I would think a lot of the very negative feedback the first game got from a bunch of people that wanted a Call of Duty game from the Call of Duty guys. Uh, and what we actually got was a pretty clever. Um, first-person shooter, which was only multiplayer, which were, which had loads of AI enemies in it, and which had this awesome a- ability to drop, you know, three or four times in a match, big fucking robots you got to get in and drive around and blow shit up with. And now what they've done is they've taken out the AI from a lot of the maps, and yeah. they've and they've made it so you get Titans far less frequently. Um, and I, I was, I mean, the shooting still feels good. The, the, mobili- the mobility's been a bit hampered because they've slowed the pilots down again because of the Call of Duty b- bitches moaning about it not being enough like Call of Duty. Um, and yeah, I think the changes they've made, for the most part, haven't been for the better, but they've also seemingly taken a lot of this feedback on and are going to make changes, maybe, to deal with it a yeah, bit. Yeah, but how much we'll can see. they change? I mean, exactly. You say the, sh- the shooting still feels good. I'm not I, even I sure I like it. that still because... The big difference is that it's far easier to die now, and there's no dynamic uh, like the original game where you had quite a lot of health actually. Even when you're out of a mech, you did have quite a lot of health, and you had an opportunity to escape. And that's the whole point of the parkour element, wasn't it? That you could mm-hmm. escape from any avenue, any direction, you could get away, recover, and that's gone. Face to face, if you see a, t- a mech now, you're dead. There's no escaping from it, and it's pretty much the same when you're pilot on pilot. It does feel like Call of Duty. As soon as you see someone, unless you've got that snap reaction to take them out, you're gone. And it's, it took me a little while, actually, in my first few matches to realize, why don't I enjoy this as much? And aside from those balance issues around how much health you've got, you don't actually get a mech very often at all. There's some matches I didn't get one, and that's unheard of from the original Titanfall. You'd easily get two, three, three four, yeah, loads. Match. And that uh, that assiduously clever balance and pace that they had in the original game, where it was so fast-paced, and the balance between you know a, a battlefield full of half mechs, half pilots, it didn't feel unfair to anybody, and the Battlefield was constantly changing because you'd be in a mech, then it would be destroyed, then you'd get another one, you'd be standing on someone else's mech, taking out someone else's mech, fighting pilots. All of it worked. It was incredibly well balanced. And they've lost it all. It's a couple of other things. They've got rid of burn cards, which I really enjoyed in the first game. It took a little bit of getting used to, but once you got your head around burn cards and the use of them, that was that was really good fun. Another weird change. No more can you no longer can you carry a primary weapon a secondary weapon and an anti-titan weapon. They've got it so now you either have a secondary weapon or an anti-titan weapon with your primary, which feels weird to me. Like, what's the reason what's, for what's doing that? Benefit? Well, how yeah. does that benefit anybody? No, I don't. I don't understand that at all. I mean, you might um, argue it, it, it's to encourage team play, I guess. So some people have got the anti-mech stuff, others haven't. 
don't know, but it doesn't feel right, does it? They've also um, peppered in a lot more um, uh, of an upgrade tree with a lot more weapons and stuff and really gone for that whole, hey, this is what you wanted, wasn't it? Lots of unlocks and, and gun mods and, you know, like Call of Duty does. That's what you wanted. We've given it to you. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself back to the, the original time for was like, there were like two or three SMGs, two or three assault rifles, you know, um, two or three sort of sniper rifle types. No, there wasn't a huge amount of choice, but the reason for that was the guns they put in that game were fucking great. Yes. Like, they were really well balanced, really well thought out. You don't need 14 different assault rifles and 16 different SMGs, because at the end of the day, they're all the fucking same. So it's like, what's the point? Um, you know, and it just... Ah, I just feel like they've listened too much to, you know, the, the peer pressure, to the, to the to the to their marketing guys, to, you know, what other... They've looked at the competition too much. They, they're not trying to make something that's unique and stand out anymore. They're trying to make what everybody else is making with a shooter. I, by that, I mean, you know, Call of Duty. Um, and it, I just... That's such a shame. I, I mean, let's see what the final game is. But, yeah, based on this, this pre-alpha tech test, um, I was not impressed. I didn't dislike it as much as some people, but... Yeah, I wasn't blown away. Which made me decide no. not to buy it. Which, wow, good. You know, that worked well. Well, this is the thing. But I would have been, I probably would have been day one. Yeah. If it, if it was just Titanfall one with a campaign, yeah. I'd buy it. Yeah. yeah. I'd just buy it. That's all I wanted. Um, but it's it's completely put me off, and I don't understand why it would attract anybody because Call of Duty exists. Battlefield 1 exists. These things are coming out in competition to Titanfall. Who is going to buy Titanfall unless it differentiates well, itself? Exactly, and more importantly, this year, Call of Duty within a month of Titanfall is also set in space. Exactly, you can sci-fi Call of Duty straight away. Yeah, so why would you why would you buy Titanfall 2? Especially if you're talking about the PlayStation guys that never experienced the first Titanfall. So they're going to look at this and go, well, why wouldn't I just get Call of Duty? I know I like Call of Duty. Why, why would I take a risk on this with a talking giant robot dude in single player? What, what's, the, what's the desire for me to play that? It's like stupid Halo. I'll just stick to Call of Duty, you know? It's, yeah, they're going to they're gonna really struggle with that, I think. Yeah, typical. Activision are not... They just make... Yeah, Activision, sorry, this is EA. EA sometimes makes some weird choices. I mean, the fact that they've also got it coming out within three weeks, I think it is, of Battlefield 1. It's like, what... What's the? Why isn't this coming out in February or March or something? You know, give it some breathing room. Let it set itself apart from that the holiday crush where it can like you know maybe exist by itself for a bit. You yeah. know, instead you're going to put it up against your your other you know big first person shooter which has got really good buzz. Um, so I just ah ugh, crazy. It just feels crazy. so incredibly misjudged. I mean, it, yeah. it's it was summed up by a tweet from Respawn over the past couple of days when they realised because it's the second technical test this weekend, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Right and now. Respawn um, put out a tweet saying that moment when you realise it's the technical test and PSN is down for maintenance for the weekend. <laughs> good planning, guys. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Like that's a that really that's a real that really happened. Yes. And this is the console they need to make inroads on. <laughs> this is the platform they need to get the sales from. Oh for fuck. Wow. What's the thinking there? Jesus Christ. Well, there isn't any. 
That's that's <laughs> unreal. That's unreal. I had no idea. Uh, we're coming to the end of the show here, I think. Uh, we've, we've prowled on for nearly two hours, as we always do. And uh, I just wanted to chuck out a couple of quick ones. Uh, I, I had... Uh, yeah, and there'll be reviews of these coming up quite soon as well. Um, I had to put... Valley on hold for Deus Ex because it's the big one at the moment, so I needed to put some time into that. But I'm about halfway through it. And Valley is... Well, it sets off as it's, it's a first-person perspective game, and it came across as like an ecological first-person shooter. So you're, it's this world where the environment is beautiful and lush, and your health, actually, interestingly, is the, the health of the valley you're in. So when you die in this game, you get brought back to life, but it costs the valley, not you. So this beautiful world withers a bit and dies a bit and, and elements of it will look a bit more um, you know, dead, like dead trees and dead animals. One of the big problems there is not a lot of animals. Not a lot of things to sell the consequences of your death in this game. So you, That's one of the first things that you're like scratching your head a little bit about and going, okay, cool idea, maybe could have been implemented better. Uh, the other big point of the valley is you get this mech suit, this kind of like enhancement, you know, once again, augmentations, you know, big thing right now. Uh, and it means you can move at great speed um, and great great momentum and, like, really fly across some of the maps. And it also gives you this uh, ability with this gun thing to, like, either suck the life out of something or give the life back to something. Um, now, the momentum thing seems cool, and it plays really well when you first get introduced to it, and it's like, wow, real sense of speed. The problem is, though, the maps maybe only give you the chance to do that very occasionally and in very specific uh, environments, and it also likes to throw a turn at you every so often to just make you slam into it and lose all momentum. So it's for a game that's meant to be all about momentum and speed, it kind of doesn't des isn't designed well enough to take advantage of that mechanic. Um, which is a bit of a problem uh, and a bit of a bummer. But I'm not quite at the end yet, and, and I want to see what comes from that, definitely, before uh, before I cast my, my judgment on that. Because I think there's some cool ideas. It's got a cool visual. It's got some interesting stories, sort of elements going on. Uh, it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, it's definitely an intriguing experience. Um, and once again, like you know, like the indie games we love to champion, has a strong central idea, a strong concept that maybe they aren't quite hitting, but but we'll see. I want to play some more of that. And the uh, the final game I really wanted to mention, and I've literally put about 30 minutes into this, started playing it for the first time last night, uh, it's called The Final Station. Um, I have to check who the developer is, but it's been put out, published by Tiny Build, which I'm guessing you guys are quite aware of, as the indie publishers. Yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah. They did that, they did that, they did that fight, what was that, that sort of like um, MMA game, the management game, The Fighter I think it was called, or something like Fight Club? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was called Fighter. Fighter, Fight Club, that one. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They did that one recently, and, and they've been around for a while, putting out lots of interesting indie games and different experiences. And the final station is the elevator pitches. What if you were a train conductor at the end of the world? Okay, that sounds weird. So you've got a 2D pixel art perspective. You can move left, right, up and down, climb up and down things, and but mostly it's left and right panel, uh, left and right sort of profile perspective, very minimalist art style. And basically, you have this train, and you have to manage the train with various different systems like electricity and fuel and stuff like that. And you get passengers, but as this is happening, this weird event is starting to unfold uh, around you in the environment. It does this. It's got this beautiful sort of transitional visuals where you're on this train and you're looking at the background. 
uh, and the, you're going past weird things and stuff that's like environmental storytelling, and it's really nicely done. One cool moment was uh, when the bad thing starts to happen. I'm on the I'm on the train with my passengers, and I'm looking out in the background, and it's like you know hills and and uh, structures, and then behind them, backlit, you just hear you know artillery going off and gunshots and the light coming up behind the hills, and it's like implying that there's a battle going on somewhere in the distance and bad shit's on its way. And you don't know what it is, and you feel very much like you're you know witnessing something uh, and right now say, when you say end of the world you mean like an apocalypse scenario something is happening that's very bad yes so far I, I've, I've discovered what uh, do you guys remember the it's I feel like it's aliens to a, to a degree this but uh, do you guys remember um, the black goo from the x-files yeah yeah you must do your child of the children of the 90s yes, like I am and stuff yeah so you remember that and, and basically it seems to be there's a, a black goo element that's possessing people and turning them into zombie like creatures that so the other element of the game as well as managing your train is when you get to stations you need to scavenge and find survivors and deal with these rather terrifying enemies that will chase you unrelentless un, you know just come at you um, this game so far is feeling a bit special. I've only put about half an hour in, but I'm getting a great vibe from it. I'm loving the the sort of environmental storytelling, the incidental dialogue, the thing I'm things I'm just picking up from. You know, because you're a conductor, you're not one of the passengers. You've become kind of their savior, their their hope, and they have a lot riding on you. But at the same time, you're not one of them, so you observe them uh, as you're helping them. And there's some really interesting stuff that's coming from that. Very early in this game so far. I, I'm really looking forward to playing some more of it actually. Uh, and, and putting the review together, but yeah, the final station. I think it's coming out in about about a week or so's time on PC, PS4, and Xbox. And uh, yeah, I think people are going to be talking about it. It looks great. I was just looking at the trailer for it. It looks really, really good. Yeah, it's 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 cool, man. It's different and it's cool and it's interesting. And uh, I love the. I just you know you're on the rails, man. There's something about traveling by train that you're observing, you know, as you're doing that, you know, that you're seeing the world from a very removed perspective, but at the same time, it is affecting you, especially when the scavenging comes in and the finding the survivors and stuff like that. It's really, it's really, it's really cool. It's really, really cool. Um, okay, I think... Oh, God, I'm tired. I'm so tired. Uh, I, I, unless anybody else wants to do some talking, I'm done. I'm, I'm just going to have a nap. You need to lie down. I'm going to lie down now. Bye-bye. I think two hours is long enough. I won't try to oh, podcast man. it anymore. My Chinese uh, is about to arrive, so that's pr pretty good timing, isn't it? That, work, that works oh, out well for you. That's why we're recording early today, because Richard's awkward and made us do it. Sorry, I've got a life. Oh, we haven't done T-shirts. Should we show T-shirts? I haven't got one. I've got black polo. Check this out. Where we oh, look at Adam Space Go on, Richard, go on. Oh, very good. Psychomantis, yeah. also embroidered on the neck. <laughs> that's nice. That's, that's pretty cool. <coughs> that's a cool thing. You got crazy on your on your t-shirts recently, Rich. You're going going like t-shirt shopping mad. I mean, oh, that and getting Sky Sports just to watch wrestling, like a true sports fan. Well, I've got, got it all now. There's no excuse to miss anything. So yeah, all the wrestling. Um, but yeah, I've got a couple more game t-shirts lined up, so tune in next time to see the next <laughs> one. 
We know why people watch the video version. It's for the it's for the t-shirt <laughs> action, the hot t-shirt. I've let I've let the viewers down two two weeks in a row now, or two times in a row. I ne- next episode, I'll have to definitely make an effort with the t-shirt. I promise I shall. Um, I think I should probably mention this as well. So yeah, Google are deciding to get rid of Google Hangouts, which is how we do podcasts in about three four weeks time. Not the next episode, but the time after that is when it's going to affect us. And supposedly they're going to sort of be wrapping it into YouTube Live, but how that will be and how that will work is a bit up in the air right now. So at some point in the future, the way you enjoy our beautiful visages talking to you about video games and wrestling may change. Um, who knows what's going to happen, but we'll roll with it. The show might get delayed at some point as we work it out, but I'll try to avoid that. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what will be, won't we, guys? We'll, we'll mm. work it out. We'll, um, we'll figure something out. out I was scared by the fact that when I looked at YouTube Live... Earlier in the week, it said I had to use my own video encoding software, and I was just like, "Oh, that's not as easy, is it?" Uh, okay. Uh, oh, that, that I made it kind of work, but how we'd get mul- multiples of us like this doing that, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so fingers crossed, uh, it will become simpler. Maybe. Who knows? We'll I can guarantee this, though. We will have games to talk about. There will always be more games. Uh, and more wrestling! Yay! Uh, I'm at DIY. Woo! That's it. Woo! There's your record. There's your record. A little bit of record. Um, yes, I'm at DIYE on Twitter, and obviously it's at BXB Games on the Twitters and at the Facebooks, and the website is bxbgames.co.uk. I know Richard is at Colonel Red on Twitter. I'm doing his plug for him. Look at that, Colonel Red. Uh, and he's also Colonel uh, Red on the Xbox Lives. I'm Paul Ben on the Xbox Lives. Adam, what are you on Twitter? I can't remember what you are. I'm Adam Breeden Dev, all one Adam word. Adam Breeden Dev. Right. Okay. Good. And uh, at one point, at some point in the future, if you get if you get paid, we might even be able to put a game gamer tag out for you. That'd be nice. That would be nice. Yes, that would be good. I I feel like I've not gone to you much on this episode, Adam. I I promise. It's okay. You'll have, you'll have more. I actually, I've got, a, I've got, just got a code that come through for you, Adam. So I've got a game for you, and you'll be able to talk about that on the next. Is it better than what I've been playing this morning? Yes. yes. <laughs> Good. I, I am glad. <laughs> when I say I promise, I mean I hope. All right. That Fair was enough. episode. That was episode eight of the BXB games, bits and bobs. And uh, I'm very tired now, very hungry, and we will all see you next time. Bye-bye! Bye, Ben.